Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers.
was Zach De La Rocha with Rage Against the Machine. What you reap is what you sow. Uh, indeed, I think uh, I think we're starting to see a heavy dose of that around here in this here country and up to the north in the great north country, Jesus, Canada, um, where my uh, noble co-host, uh, Canadian Glenn, heralds from, and uh, Glenn does a show on Wednesday nights, one of the, the better ones on all of BCR. Um, the view up here um, focuses on Canadian politics, um, get great guests, um, and uh, it's a definite listen to. Um, so uh, is there a horrid echo? How's it going, am eh? Echoing? Am I echoing now? No, I don't hear you echoing. Cal, am I echoing? Did you did you just do a nitrous boom? No, no, no. But uh, but Glenn, um, I'd like to thank you for helping me out with the show tonight. It's a little impromptu, um, but uh, as my week's been going, it's a little serendipitous, and um, we're really lucky to uh, to get a uh, Azura Crispino on, who is a uh, a prison reform advocate. Um, uh, she may not be back from uh, what she was doing, but if she's not, she'll be here soon. And I posted the link uh, to an organization she is with. And uh, tonight we are going to be talking about um, Alvaro Hernandez, um, who is uh, a Chicano activist, um, arrested, um, a very uh, respected activist. Uh, he was um, arrested and uh, um, was released, the, the police, as I understand it, um, reading sort of both sides of the equation, the police, um, you know, put the, uh, the coin intel pro on him and, and kind of pressed him. And, and, and this was fairly late um, in, in the early 90s when I think we thought all that program was defunct, but it was really still going on as as we'll as we'll hear. Um and he was reincarcerated um on a uh a trumped up charge and while in jail, uh, uh the, the charge um and, and I'll I'll briefly just summate it, but um he would, he was charged with uh trying to kill a police officer um, as the evidence bore out, disarmed the uh, the police officer, um, and and then ended the threat. Um, it, um, again, this is this is my opinion and, and what I've inferred from what what I've been reading. Um, both the police and and the conflict ended there. He was uh, um, accused and convicted of uh, attempted murder on a police officer um, in jail. He was continued to be harassed. Um, by the COs um, and uh, was accused of attacking a prison guard and um, um, and following that um, was placed in ad ad seg uh, administrative segregation um, or what's uh, more commonly known as solitary confinement um, and has been there for 13 years. Um, He used both both times he was in prison um, before he was put on uh, uh, solitary this past time um, to educate himself 
Uh, and Glenn, if uh, you know if Azura is on the line at any point, feel free to bring her into the conversation. But I figured I'd just you know give a little background on what we're going to be talking about tonight. Um, but uh, well, I so, do have I do have Liberty on on the board, and I have uh, I have a all ones number that I haven't screened yet that is pressed one. So. How about I let Liberty on, and you guys can carry on with the background, and I'll screen that call. Thank you, Glenn. All righty. Hello, Liberty. Hi. Hi, hey, you're on Hello. With there you go. You guys have at her. I'm going to screen. Thanks, Glenn. Okay. Appreciate it. Well, well welcome I uh, wanted... to the show. Well, oh, welcome thank you. Thank you so much. Uh, oh, no, you're you're more than welcome. Um, I, I wanted to welcome... Um, we had talked about this uh, a little bit earlier, and I think it's safe to uh, call you by by your by your work name, by your professional name. Um, and uh, so this is Azura um, Crispino, uh, who works uh, pretty tirelessly. I can't believe how many times your name came up in uh, um, in the reading that I've been doing um, about Alvaro's case. Um, but let me uh, let me stop rambling on. Welcome you to the show, and um, I'm glad you got some of your work done. But thank you so much for for joining us. And what's going on right now as far as the Twitter storm and who's Alvaro and go at it. So the Twitter storm is officially tomorrow at 1 p.m. where I am in Austin, Texas. 2 p.m. on the East Coast. Noon for those of us that will be joining, for those of you who will be joining us from the mountain states, and at 11 a.m. for those of you on the western board. If you are somewhere else, you can do the math. Um, so Alvaro is an awesome dude. He's what you would call a natural anarchist. So as a young man, when he was 16, he witnessed his best friend, Irve Ramos, be shot in the back of the head which you can imagine would leave an impression. And in 1970, the U.S. Commission on Civil Rights Report entitled Mexican Americans and the Administration of Justice in the Southwest cited the murder of Irve Ramos as an injustice that was perpetrated in Texas. Now, when Alvaro was a little older, um, Sheriff Skinner of Alpine took some white supremacist side in an altercation that ensued over a jukebox. Um, the Rednecks had played some country music, and when Alvaro tried to play some Tejano music, um, they took offense, and the cops got called, and Alvaro got bounced out of there, didn't get to eat his hamburger or finish his beer, and he just had had enough. And at that point, he set Sheriff Skinner's car on fire, and served three years. I remember asking him once, Alvaro, do you have any regrets about setting that car on fire? You know, you've been a marked man in Alpine ever since. And he got this grin that down here in Texas we referred to as shit-eaten on his face. And he just nodded, or he shook his head slowly, I mean, and smiled real big and said, nope, I sure don't. <laughs> Good for him. 
but in 1975, um, he was effectively framed for a murder robbery. There was a, a young man who was a student at Sol Ross University who was working as a night clerk at the Ramada Inn, and a murder took place, and he was shot and killed. Now, the law claims that Alvaro was the person who was standing in the flower bed and shot the guy, but Alvaro has always claimed that he was asleep on a couch um, might have been drinking, but he was not at the scene of the crime. And on January 12th, 1976, he goes on trial. The prosecution seeks the death penalty. Uh, this is one of the shortest time lapses in Texas criminal history, which was most likely motivated by the prosecutor, whose name was Aubrey Edwards, uh, who had a heated... Between the conviction and between the sentencing. Correct. Yeah, right. Usually when, when there's a capital murder case where they're seeking the death penalty, the trial drags on for years, right? Whereas, you know, the young man is shot on September 18th of 1975, January 12th, 1976, Alvaro's standing on trial. Yeah, that's nuts because, I mean, I believe that, that somebody who's on death row has an unlimited uh, right to appeal, Um I don't know how it works in Texas, um, or or at least the, the number is pretty high. Um, well, so the way it works in Texas, at least in Alpine, is that Aubrey Edwards was coming up for re-election in May of 1976, uh-huh. and they wanted a conviction before that happened, Okay. Now, one of my favorite parts of Alvaro's story, for anybody who wants the movie rights, happens in January of 1976, which is that while he was awaiting sentencing, Alvaro and three other inmates successfully orchestrate a prison break in a red, white, red and white Grand Torino. I don't remember the year of the Grand Torino, <laughs> um, but it belonged to a guard, and this was a brand-new jail. And Alvaro figured out how to get one of the other guys to grab the keys from the officer uh, whom they then locked in the cell and took his car to get away. And um, he would have gotten away with it except they ran out of bullets. So he didn't make it to Cuba. And in June of 1976, he was sentenced. Now, they did not sentence him to the death penalty but what ended up happening is that this time around, Alvaro radicalized, right? This is when he meets Lenin and Marx and Kropotkin and also begins corresponding with Mumia Abu-Jamal and Maroon Schultz. And because he now becomes an anarchist or more fully becomes an anarchist, I think anybody who sets a car on fire is uh, an anarchist, most likely, whatever the word means. But, um this is where he really comes into his own in terms of his personal education, both as a jailhouse so lawyer. Is, this is where he kind of goes from sort of being an angry, flailing youth to becoming a, a, a more of a student of subversion. That's an excellent way to put it. Um, in prison. What a coincidence. 
Well, you know, I mean, I mean that was a jab at the, at at, the, at sort of the logic of of you know locking smart minds up without anything to do, but you know, become angry well, and, and and learn how to. I mean, and I'm all for it. I mean, don't get me wrong. I mean, it's just the stupidity of the system that deserves it again. But on with, I, with the story, sorry, I can be tangential. So bear well, with me if I do, if I am. No, it's all right. I just need to make a quick correction to something that you said earlier. I would not recall myself a prison reformer. I believe in universal prison abolition. Now I'm fine with the idea of working on reforms that I think will lead to abolition. So, for example, no solitary confinement past 15 days. The United Nations calls it torture on day 16. You know, and now being we can talk about this. And let, I mean, let's just make this black and white for a more obtuse listeners. That that doesn't mean that, that you know somebody somebody who raped a child wouldn't go to prison. No, it does. I don't want even a child rapist in prison. Me personally, I would not send my own rapist to prison, and I've said that very publicly. Neither of them. So what, what would you do with somebody like that? Okay, so in my personal case, um, what I would like to see happen is, first of all, for the victim to heal, right? I think that's important, and for the community to stay safe. So in the second case where he went out of his way to drug me, I would like him watched for the rest of his life, um, whatever that means. But I would want to make sure that he doesn't have the opportunity to do that to somebody else, and I would want him to have options for rehabilitation. Now, in the case of really egregious cases like, you know, pedophiles that um, are also violent in nature or just can't seem to control their impulses, First yeah, of all, the, I would. Recidivism is, you know, so high. But I mean, let's not get too far off on a tangent. But I'm with you. But the most important thing is protection of the community is still part of the, of the value system that you embrace, or the, or sort of the construct that you would envision for, um, a, a, you know, a, a place that doesn't just treat as violence like our current military-industrial complex. Right. Exactly. So. You know, take somebody like a pedophile, what do we do now? Well, we put them in federal prison, usually, because they get caught in porn charges, um, where they learn, hey, if I had raped an adult woman, I would get a smaller sentence than if I had looked at child porn. So that's not the lesson we want them to learn. Um, We want them to be re-educated into a normal sexuality. So that might require sex therapists. Um, It might require for pedophiles to live in communities that are childless. You know, I can imagine that there are a lot of people out there who don't want children, who might prefer to live in a community where there are no kids, and might not care if their neighbor is a pedophile, as long as that person doesn't have the right or the ability to harm anybody. Pardon? (laughs) I said they'd be safe jogging at night at any rate. Right, precisely, you know, like if you live with a whole bunch of pedophiles and you're 40, you know, you're like, nobody's going to touch me. Yeah, exactly. All right, now back to um, um, Alvaro Hernandez and and his story, but I appreciate you, Clara, you know, just because I understand from our earlier discussions that that's clearly a huge part of your value system is the protection of the community, but 
um, I just want to want people to understand that that is that's a big part of you know where you come from. It's not this you know hey, people do people shouldn't should go unpunished, but somewhere it it it, it works. But clearly, whatever we're doing right now isn't not isn't just not working. It's actually having an opposite effect of its intended, or at least its philosophically intended um, purpose. Uh, but well, back, sure. Back, back to, uh, you know, Alvaro, I mean, because his, I mean, his story is fascinating. I mean, um, clearly, like, a super intelligent individual. Um, and uh, before I forget, could you talk to him recently? I went to see him for his birthday. And then um, I got a couple letters from him late last month. So I saw him in May. Um, and he seemed in good spirit. But can I take you back to 1976? Yes, definitely. Absolutely do. Sure. So it's 1976. You know, he's at this point sentenced for this murder that he doesn't commit, right? And he's maintained his innocence since 1976, you know. Um, And I will tell you that when Alvaro told me about his jail escape, he admitted candidly that in that moment he did threaten to shoot the guard and that the guard told him, I'm a father, please don't kill me. And Alvaro said, okay, give me your car keys and I'll let you live. So if he tells me that he peacefully disarmed Officer McDaniels, then I believe that he peacefully disarmed Officer McDaniels. He doesn't have a reason to lie to me. Um, Nor, you know, in the two years that I have known him and supported him, going on three now, um, have I had reason to believe that he would lie. But so in 1976, he ends up radicalizing. And at this time, it was still possible for inmates to correspond directly without permission of the warden or anything like that. So he's writing to Mumia, he's writing with Maroon, he's talking to all of the big political prisoners and political prisoner supporters, right? So, you know, this is a time when Asata Shakur was everybody's darling, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, this was like heavy times. Right. And during this time, administrative segregation as we understand it now did not exist which is hard for me to wrap my head around. But yeah, me so too. they that's didn't crazy. know. Pardon? That, yeah, me too. That's crazy. I mean, you'd think we'd be getting more civilized, not less, but that seems, that seems not to be the case, not just in this, but so many other things. But, well, capitalism is continuing to intensify, right, in terms of its contradictions. So things aren't going to get better until they get worse. Absolutely. <laughs> but anyway. I, I agree. Um, I agree. We could talk for hours. So what does the state do in trying to repress Alvaro? They put him on death row. He's not awaiting execution. That's just the place where they can be most restrictive on him. And he ends up getting put in the cell next to a man named Ricardo Aldape Guerra, okay, while he was being held in the LS1 unit in Huntsville. And Guerra had been accused of killing a Houston police officer, right? He's a Mexican national. He doesn't speak English. Um, You know, his consulate wasn't 
notified properly, all of the, you know, usual problems. And Alvaro decides, I'm going to get free, and once I get free, I'm going to get Aldape free. And um, he does. You know, so in 1981, Alvaro was one of the jailhouse litigators in the Reeves v. Estelle decision, um, which is an entire chapter is devoted to that decision in Mumia's jailhouse lawyer's book. You know, and he mentions that there are five other litigants. Um, he doesn't mention Alvaro by name specifically. I don't know why. But what ends up happening is that in 1991, well, before 1991, uh, while Alvaro is being held in Huntsville, um, there's a radio show, just like this one, that is run by a local psychologist who talks about criminal justice issues. And Alvaro begins to call in and make a long story short, they get married. And she manages to really rally a whole ton of people on Alvaro's behalf. And in 1991, during the Special International Tribunal on the Violations of Human Rights of Political Prisoners and Prisoners of War in the United States Prisons and Jails, um, Alvaro is sponsored by the Movimiento de Liberación Nacional Mexicano, and Liz Murillo, his ex-wife Murillo, testified on his behalf. So in 91, he gets paroled and um, immediately begins to rally for the freedom of Ricardo Aldape Guerra, which was successful. Um, Guerra ends up dying in a car accident under mysterious circumstances between um, Monterrey and Distrito Federal. And he did this on, on, through the vehicle of Lorazo, right? Well, so he started um, the national movement of La Raza. Now, when we talk about La Raza now, I don't know what the relationship is between, you know, like the La Raza that counts as a member, the cur- one of the current Supreme Court justices, and the La Raza that Alvaro was a part of, right? We have to be careful um, not to make of different herbs one uh, fascia, as we say in Italian. But, yes, through the vehicle of La Raza, right? So Alvaro begins and becomes the director of the national movement of La Raza and also forms the Stop the the Violence Youth Committee. And then in 92, um, he testifies, or I'm sorry, in 93, he testifies as an NGO delegate to the 49th session of the United Nations Commission on Human Rights in Geneva. So, you know, at this point, this is the height of Alvaro's influence as a civil rights activist, right? He's addressing as a legitimized civil rights activist. Well, I don't know how legitimate an anarchist can ever be as a civil rights activist. Um, Okay, that was Minnesota. I mean, look, the point here is that if you want to say that he was not targeted for his political activities, I think speaking in front of the United Nations is the gold standard for what it means to be a civil rights activist. 
any time that you're allowed to speak in front of the UN, that means that you're considered serious. Or it's the um, standard for about when you're about to get set up. Well, you know, the gold standard for whether you're about to get set up is how effective you are, right? Say that again, sorry. The gold standard for whether you're about to get set up is how effective you are. Right. And if you get and if you get invited to the UN, you're pretty effective. And uh, as I mean, it's no clearer now that that the United States and the UN are not one entity. Um, I think as much as the United States would like to think they control the UN. Um, but anyway, again, I digress. I, I um, so, so he's he's now he is now a respected um, uh, leader in not only the Hispanic activist community but also in the anarchist activist community. Right. I mean, and respected in the NGO community. Right. Alvaro has the ability, you know, I'm a committed pacifist. He's not. But Alvaro has the ability to speak across race, across class, across gender, you know, and really to mobilize people who do not normally mobilize. So for Aldape Guerra, at one point, Alvaro manages to rally 7,000 people to march in Houston without a permit. Most of these are undocumented immigrants. So that tells you that his ability to community organize, as he would say, one tenement building at a time, one street at a time, one neighborhood at a time, one city at a time, is formidable. I mean, this is a man who has organized multiple jailhouse stoppages, work stoppages. Um, He radicalizes other prisoners. He routinely gets other prisoners out of prison, um, whether that's getting them out of administrative segregation or whether that's um, just getting them out, period. You know, he's a formidable, formidable human being, no matter what spin you put on him. You know, if you want to talk about him as a Chicano liberationist, yes, absolutely. He wants this, you know, he understands Oscon to be a free nation that has been conquered by, you know, American imperialism, British imperialism, you know, and he sees these courts as being completely illegitimate. Um, I'd be happy to read some of um, his words to you, but I would tell you that his um, allocution on the last case where he basically tells the judge, you know, I have respect for a lot of the decisions that you've made, but I do not recognize your court as legitimate is just anarchist poetry. There's no other way to put it. But kind of getting back to his timeline, I'm getting a little ahead of myself. So in 95, he and his ex-wife, Murillo, Murillo, split. And Alvaro returns to Alpine after the divorce. Now, I've asked him whether he regretted doing that. And he said yes. And I said, Alvaro, I don't think you should because you wanted to get justice for Herbe. And there's nothing wrong with you wanting to get justice for Herbe. But he recognizes that in Alpine, which is a city of 5,000, right? It's a city of 5,000 now. It was a city of 5,000 then. I mean, and he tells me things like he wasn't allowed to be on the other side of the railroad tracks at night. No Chicanos could rent on the right side of the tracks. He grew up with signs that said no dogs or Mexicans allowed. I mean, he, 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 he clearly 
responded to what he was given, um, you know, and the end of that, that um, Rage Against the Machine song, You Reap What You Sow, um, you know, it, it's sort of a perfect metaphor for this. And one of the reasons I asked you earlier was when, you know, when, when was the last time you spoke with him is, is um, if he does, if he if he does get to uh, see what what's going on in the outside world, um, he probably wants to bury a, uh, his head in the pillow because it's almost like a almost like a replay um, of what was going on in, in you know in the days in which he was coming up, and then you throw in these GOP idiots with their immigration. Um, his grandmother in saying that when there's breath, there's hope. And he has a tremendous ability to see the seeds, even of plants that he will not get to enjoy the fruits of considering his age. I think that's a a sign of like a real revolutionary. I mean, I often, you know, people who make that commitment, which he clearly has and gone from, you know, in, in, in my limited knowledge, it seems like somebody who was treated like shit, responded like shit, and that's the old as above, so below thing. Um, and then and then, and now has learned that, that the whole system is, is indeed as, as putrid as he thought it was. Um, so, uh, yeah, I mean, and as far as what I said about him, you know, still being active, I mean, just you know, reading about him for the little time I have, he's certainly an inspiring figure and and, uh, and owns his space. Yeah, I mean, he definitely owns his space, even when that, you know, the cube that they put him in, that's like, I don't know, a fourth the size of his solitary cell for me to talk to him through the screen, right? Because it's through a window and then you, you're you on a telephone. But you know, there's, he's just such a large figure, even physically, right? I mean, he's clearly more than six foot. He has to bend down so far in order for them to cuff him. And at this point in his life, you can tell that doing that squat is starting to hurt his knees, you know. Um, he was recently diagnosed with hep C, which surprises no one he spent more than half of his life in a texas prison um you know if you manage to do that without getting a single stick and poke and not getting into any fight and not fucking anybody then uh, more power to you but most people who've been held for any degree of time um and there is no such thing as a short stint run the risk of getting hep C, and he did. So they've now put him on a diet for health, and that basically means that he's not getting any, you know, food that could exacerbate his condition, but they're also not giving him enough calories. So we've been, you know, looking under our seat cushions for a little bit of extra change to send him, you know, spam, effectively. Yeah, Um, yeah, yeah, but to the commissary. Right, and you know, just so that he can get a little cash. bit of extra food. 
if you're on the chat, Pardon? definitely. If you're on um, chat, drop uh, a link to where you can do that, you know, with a, a prepaid Visa card or something, or uh, tweet it to me and, and we'll get it around. Yeah, sure. It's Texas it's, it's e-commissary. No, I don't think actually we put that on the paste, comrade, but, um, well, I'll keep talking, but it's Texas e-commissary. Maybe Canadian one can look it up or... Um, yeah, I, or I'll look it up. It's great. I mean, to, uh, allow me to tangent again for a moment. Um, the privatization of things like the phone calls, the commissary in our prisons, it is fucking crazy. It's so nuts. You know, like... Texas Commissary Inc. Um, is a, uh, you know, it, I mean, it's a, a, a subsidiary of a huge company. They get the, the, the amount that the, the inmates pay for their fucking spam. It is crazy. So bad, bad, bad. But anyway, onward. Um, I'm sorry, dude. I spaced out for a second. Um no worries. You're Some of you know that one of my I'm friends. Allowed to space out, you're allowed to space out. All right. We, we well, were, it's uh, just my friend I, Eric Marquez just called me from Harris. I'm sorry, Houston City Jail today. And, you know, I met Eric because he was a Gulfport 7 defendant. For those of you that might have read my letter in support of leniency towards Jeremy Hammond. Um, the entire page that talked about Eric getting set up by APD was redacted by Judge Preska. So, you know, this is the story that Preska doesn't want you to know. But um, Eric went down to the Gulf port of Houston to shut it down in solidarity with the Longshore Workers Union. And um, they caused $2 million worth of damages in two hours. Eric was given a device called by the prosecution a dragon sleeve. Sometimes what, called what a lockbox. A dragon sleeve, because they have to make it sound dangerous. What this oh, thing okay. is, is a PVC pipe that's had a couple of holes drilled in it. And then you put it, uh, you put a rod through it, and the bolts are on the inside. So you and your buddy put your hands in it, so that you can lock arms without the cops being able to just break your arms and get you out of it. And they can't just saw it open because you could have dynamite in there. Not that I've ever known any activist to do that ever because it would be stupid. But so it takes them. All their their brothers. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah, the thing people effectively chain themselves with. The the cops call that thing a dragon sleeve? Right, because they have to make it sound (laughs) good. So here's the crazy part. There is this undercover Austin Police Department officer named Shannon Dowell, right? He's a narcotics officer working undercover uh, at Occupy Austin. We knew him as Butch. He tried to surveil me while I was live tweeting at City Hall. One of my friends, um, the food magnate of Occupy Austin, stepped between him and I so that he couldn't surveil what I was saying. Um, I don't know why Ronnie Garza thought that beard was cute, because it was clearly a fake, Uh, very obviously a fake. But anyway, so Butch made and delivered these dragon sleeves to Houston, and Eric was part of Occupy Dallas. He had just 
finished um, a tour of duty as a member of the U.S. Army, where he learned firsthand what evils imperialism wages upon our foreign shores. And um, he wanted to do something about it. So he'd only been at Occupy Dallas for a few days, maybe a couple of weeks. And he jumps in a car and goes down to Houston and is given a dragon sleeve, is told to write his name on it, and does, right, which tells you how green he was. And he gets arrested with the Gulfport 7. And they're all charged with felonies for what would have been a misdemeanor because they were using a criminal device. Now, six of them are immediately released. Wait, 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 right? Hold and, on, back up, back up. The dragon sleeve is now deemed a criminal device. Right. Because, because it could have explosives in it. Oh, Lord have mercy. Well, no, no, because it is a criminal device. The PVC itself, is, as it has been set up, is now a criminal device. Right, right, PVC right. pipe plus hole plus rod equals, and bolt equals criminal device. But that's kind of like saying like stick plus rubber band plus rock equals criminal uh, device. Well, a, a slingshot could be a criminal device, but the point here is that this particular criminal device was constructed and delivered by APD to Houston, where it was then used by Houston police to charge seven activists who would have been charged with a misdemeanor for effectively blocking traffic, but instead were charged with felonies. That is not so, so, I mean, it was just a, like a typical setup there. So to put this in context, right, at the first annual birthday party on Stratford in solidarity with Jeremy Hammond, Eric was there with us, right? He'd just gotten out, was on his own, had a place to live, like was making something for himself after everything he'd been through. You know, like he was on the upswing and his first action was coming out to Jeremy Hammond's birthday party. And, and which Eric I wanted are you to talking about? Pardon? Which Eric are you talking about? Just to clarify for Eric me. Marquez. Eric John Marquez of the Gulfport Seven. Gotcha. So I'm like, Hey guys, let's block traffic and Eric looks at me and says, The last time I did that, I ended up in prison for over a year. That's not. I was like, okay, let's not block traffic. Um, that, wow. Let's hand out cupcakes instead. Um, is, which uh, Scott Crow tweeted about. Your, I mean, the crazy thing about the the uh, the dragon sleeve, if I have to say that, is I mean, it's a, clearly it's a uh, defensive uh, um, implement, right? And so then you had this thing delivered. Uh, to be used in a criminal intent by a police uh, force. Yeah, you know, and I tweeted to Art Acevedo, or as I like to call him, Artichoke Avocado, and said, look, either you knew that Shannon Dowell was doing this and you willfully entrapped activists and you should be fired, or you have a rogue narcotics officer on your hands and you didn't know and you should step down for incompetence, but either way you've got to go. And for that, 
he blocked me on Twitter. Austin Police Department blocked me on Twitter, which is annoying because that means I can't get traffic alerts unless they're retweeted by someone else. All right, we we are we are as usual jumping off the rails here on Third Radio, Glenn. If you're still there, because without this is this is my proposal. But let's um, I want to talk uh, a little bit more about um, Alvaro, the uh, the tweet storm. Um, Alvaro. 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 Alvaro Luna Hernandez presente. I'm such a I'm such a gringo. Um, and and then a little bit about Paps, and then um, and then uh, we'll uh, we'll come back and talk about how you got involved in all this and bring some people on the line. Well, sure, and, that sounds great. And Glenn, do you want to pick a tune at random? Oh yeah, a soundboard I've never seen before. <laughs> I could sing to you. Sure, just <laughs> pick a song. Sound? Yeah, just uh, pick one out of the hat. If it has a title, even better. Well, that's well, just I it. Well, I was just going to sing you a song that we wrote for Alvaro. Like, I literally was just going to sing to y'all. Well, but then I, I, I wouldn't be able to get my beer. But um, problem, I think then. we should close the Alvaro segment and go into the early days. How you got into this pack, what, you know, what's going on now? Because you obviously, like, we're right in the thick of it. Um, when it began, and I'm fascinated by that. Um, wow. And uh, Glenn, what are, you, are you looking at my song list? Going, wow. Yeah, it's like hardly anything's got a real title. Okay, well I found one. We'll try well, now it. Now you look what now you look what my file system looks like. My God, looks like a pile on <laughs> a system. <laughs> I don't want you to give me give you a, ner- give you a nervous breakdown. Okay, well, whatever I've picked here is four minutes and one second. So we so got that back, long. Everybody have, a, have a smoke, have a drink. Four minutes and one second. Glenn, you're a brave man. Okay, well, I'm going to put people on hold then, and I'm going to play it. So, uh, yeah, Third Rail Radio, we'll be back in four minutes.
back to Third Rail Radio. If I knew exactly where the bumpers were, I'd probably play a bumper, but I don't. So I won't. Here's the other guy who actually does belong here. Hello, Auntie. Are you there? I am here. What a tune, though. I mean, you you should probably just jump in the car and go to Vegas, except for <laughs> it was the only one, except for it was the only one labeled in, in the whole uh, in the whole list. Well, just about, um, yeah. but I, I recognized it, so hey, there we go. Great tune, uh, and uh, and thank you. And uh, I'm who is he, and he who is I has shown up. Dalek, welcome to the show, brother. Um, yeah, I see him there. And uh, I, I, I thought he had been exterminated by another Dalek, but he is alive, thank God. Um, Vert's holding down, Neil's holding down. Um, anybody who... Uh, you know, who may be on hold, uh, mm-hmm. bring well, them on. Okay, uh, well, uh, this is what I wanted to discuss. Yeah, that's what I wanted to uh, to discuss here. So, okay, Liberty is back. Now, would you like to bring on ANCAP? Absolutely. Okay. Hi, hey. ANCAP. Hey. Welcome to your own Dad. show. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I forgot. Oh, it's all good. I, it was uh, this is sort sort of a serendipitous moment. Um, and uh, Azura is our guest, um, and we are uh, we're talking. This is uh, my normal my normal co-host Azura, uh, Ancap Dalek on on the old twatter, and uh, I think he's been traveling around, rambling around the country. Um, 
But uh, welcome. So we're talking about um, Alvaro Hernandez. Alvaro. 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 I can barely roll an R. It's like uh, what, your what, R's what? are great. Your A just needs to open up a little more. Alvaro. Yeah. My A needs to open up. Okay. Whoa. So who uh, is uh, who's all on the on the board right now? Uh, Glenn, you, and Azura, who um, uh, uh, is uh, not a prison, is is an anarchist first and foremost. I would think I would say. Uh, please speak for yourself, though. I, I don't speak for other people. Intersectional well, feminist, then anarchist, uh, then prison abolitionist. Right After on, that, right? I don't know. I like unicorns. That's plain so, enough. And, Okay. Yeah, well, that's enough. That's enough label. More importantly, a super cool uh, uh, conversation that that uh, materialized into a radio show and um, involved in jail support, which uh, which I'm pretty sure Dalek uh, is always always down with. And uh, yes. um, well, so gonna, go ahead, I I just wanted to jump in for one second just to prove it to you. It doesn't have anything to do with what part of the country you live in. If I can say Alvaro Hernandez, why can't you? Oh, it's, it's genetic. But I, I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm Irish Scott. Like, I, you know? It, the it, fact, that I, the yeah. fact that I can roll my R's is a miracle. It's like, that's like Look, a, uh, this just takes practice. A-E-E-O-O. Just say that a hundred times every day. I You'll be fine. Alvaro. Uh, but let's uh let's let's get back to to um Mr. Hernandez. Um, oh hang on a second. Eric Marquez is on the line. Shit, let me see if I can do this as a three way call. Hold on, y'all. Alrighty. That would be killer. And and if if uh, Smoker is on the hold, bring him on and uh well, actually, actually, we have a uh, a rare visitor who would like to come on. Oh, absolutely. Okay, I welcome I welcome to the air, Mr. Neil Rawhauser. Hello, Neil. Yay! Good evening. Are you there? I'm here. Can you hear me now? Yes, we can. We can hear you now. Welcome to the Excellent. show. Well, it's good to be here. It's been uh, a long, long, long time since I've popped up on BTR at all. I think this might be my first appearance this year. Uh, yeah, I would say that's probably pretty close. I do remember your last one. You said it would be a while. You have been true to your words, sir. <laughs> Understandably so. Well, I'm glad you chose uh, this one to call into. Uh, I, I bet you can bring some... some uh, some interesting commentary and insight into the conversation. Yeah, this you know, I've I've listened to a couple shows here and there with interesting topics and this was the first one where I really felt motivated to pop up and say anything. Oh yeah, and usually it's just a big conference call, a bunch of people who like each other. Um but um no, this is uh I thank you, I appreciate that. Um and uh I think uh you know, as you're Mission, not just um, with. I'm scared to say Alvaro now, but uh, uh, you know, is a really worthy one. Well, 
Well, Neil, I'm curious if you see any parallel in this. I mean, I read about the Hernandez case, the conditions, how he's been basically taken out of society because he's a problem. Um, do you think people like him and Leonard Peltier, do you think if they had just started what the state is calling crimes in this day and age, don't you think they'd be called terrorists? You know, the the whole terror thing is completely, completely overblown. Oh, yeah. And the FBI has something like a $3.3 billion budget for counterterrorism. And so we end up with these situations where, you know, it, it's it's not the Federal Bureau of Investigation. It's the Federal Bureau of Fabrication. And they find retards and, and you know, mentally ill men, usually Muslims, who left to their own devices, wouldn't be able to round up a, a full box of M80 firecrackers, you know, and they give them the stuff and they urge them along and then they, they yell bingo and they've got a winning case. And so we have these guys, you know, in one particular yep. instance, I remember in New York, this kid had like an 85 IQ and, you know, it had some, some legitimate free floating anger for how things had gone because he's Bangladeshi. And he's going to be locked up for whatever, 20 or 25 years. And that's total bullshit. And this guy's not a criminal. He's a, a janitor waiting to happen at a big box store. That's it. And and, and that stuff, it, it's gone now. But, boy, from 2010 through about 2013, that was a fun game for right-wingers to aim at their political opponents. If mm-hmm. you weren't just a rabid, frothing... Amen. Every time Frank Gaffney gets on CNN Islamophobe, you would get that kind of shit pointed at you. If you knew someone who was Muslim, if you wrote in anything less than glowing tones about Israel, that that kind of stuff would get aimed at you. And you know, I personally have dealt with a bunch of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, but it is uh, it it is similar to McCarthyism, isn't it? You know, it is exactly, you know, it, Islam is the communism of the 21st century in that regard. And there are legitimate problems. You know, the, the Wahhabi, this, the, this is a problem. I mean, the, the belief system, what they push for. But there are something like a billion Muslims in the world. Mm-hmm. Is that right? Is it more yeah. now? And there's yeah, it's maybe, over. There, there were maybe And there were maybe 10 million of those men between 15 and 35 who were a real genuine problem. And we have done, you know, you that have, kind of stuff. A, you have a little footnote there for that number? No. Time? That's just a, a guess. Yeah. Is, is, I, is, there, is there, I mean, not to get off topic, I don't know if Azura is online, but is there a section of Christianity that are problematic? Is there a is section, there a of, section Judaism of that is problematic? Yeah, I'd I think, say that every single every every single one of the the Abrahamic religions has its own segment of people who are unable to get along with others who have a sort of eliminationist ideology. I think there was a who is it uh, was it Rabin that was assassinated by the Kahan, mm-hmm. one of the one of Mir Khan's followers back in the like eighties or nineties. Yeah, Kahan. And with Christians here in this country, I mean. Have this whole army of God and the you know dispensationalists and and Opus Dei you know so there are all these sorts of groups that if they're tied into any of the monotheistic religions they have that sort of uh, eliminationist temperament 
so that's what you know. It's, it's not right. It's it's symmetry. Right? It's, it's almost like a well, dish. it's fundamentalism. Well, I I think that there are there are fundamentalists who make decent neighbors, and yes. it's really the there, there are some specific things that happen, and it is the. The, the dualism, you're either you're good or you're evil. There's no middle ground. There's no mm. multipolar situations. And uh, you get, you know, it, if you're not part of the in-group, you are demonized. You are made less than human by whatever, you know, allegations are made about your, your beliefs. And, and, and that's a smaller segment than, than people who are just purely, they fit the fundamentalist label. And this is something that... Uh, there's a lot of detail. It, it's one of those kind of fractal areas where you, the closer you get to it, the more sorts of, you know, little vistas and different groups with slightly different viewpoints uh, will turn up. And there's a, a guy named Bruce Wilson who's done a tremendous amount of work with uh, tracking the different, you know, evangelical and, and fundamentalist groups here in the U.S. And, and they're their underlying motives and ideology and, and where they have influence within our government. And it's, you know, if you've ever seen one of his articles with the, the sort of scholarly backing that he has, I mean, it's, it's scary because you have people that tolerate our current form of government and the pluralism that we have only because they expect to have an opportunity to change it. And I'm not talking about winning elections. Yeah, that's really well said. No, I, I hear. I I think I get. I think I get what you mean. Um, I just want to throw it. I just want to throw in that Liberty is back. She dropped when she tried the three way, but she's back now. She dropped when she tried the three way. Welcome back, Azura. Liberty. Uh, that Neil only Rogers happens on the phone. Is on the line. <laughs> okay, you guys go at it. I got to step away for a couple minutes, so it's all yours. All right. Um, well, on the on the line right now, we have um, our guest Azura and uh, Neil Rauhauser, and uh, we're talking we're talking about a lot of things right now. We we are we're based um, in Alvaro uh, Hernandez, who is uh, Luna uh, Hernandez. Thank you. <laughs> and. Uh, Luna is his mother's name, and he is just as proud of his mother's name as his father's name. Well, it's interesting when I was googling him and I put in Luna, um, um, it's the the old search engine there had some issues with that. Apparently, there's a singer um, who's quite popular, um, whose uh, social whose uh, search engine optimizer is better than um, than the incarcerated one, which which. I imagine makes perfect sense. But let's get back to like what's oh, going on Actually that is a sugar cane Doctor B. Aw. Did you just guess what kind of soda it was? I thought I heard a beer. Oh, I thought you cracked the beer and she guessed what kind of soda it was. Okay. So Azora cracked the soda the soda and Dalek was disappointed it wasn't a beer. Play by play. It's whatever. Uh, but back to what's going on tomorrow, because I've seen a ton of people put a lot of work into it. Ghosts has put a lot of work into it. Um, there's going to be a Twitter storm for Alvaro Hernandez. 
who has been in solitary Alvaro Luna. Luna Hernandez, who has been in solitary confinement for 13 years. Um, um, definitely, uh, I would say, the case could be made that he's a political prisoner. Um, Absolutely, no he is a political prisoner. Textbook. Okay, just out of curiosity, um, how did this come into fruition? Uh, what was he charged for? That's the that's something. So really last it. time, it was aggravated assault on a peace officer. Okay. So Sheriff McDaniel shows up at Alboro's doorstep and claims he has a warrant that he does not have on him. In fact, the warrant is dated for the next day. Okay. He tries to arrest Alvaro, who refuses to go anywhere without a warrant as his his right. His constitutional right. And McDaniel begins to draw his gun. Alvaro snatches it out of his hands, saving his own life. No shit. He disarmed him. He disarmed the officer, and I asked him, how did you do it? And he just reached out his hand and grabbed an imaginary gun. Just really quickly, you know, I just grabbed it, is all he said. He just grabbed it. That's it. There's nothing else that can be said. So he grabs the gun out of Sheriff McDaniel's hand, and he runs for three days, you know, and um, he is once again attempting to go to Cuba to seek political asylum where he would be drinking tequila next to Asada Shakur right this second, I am certain, except he didn't make it far enough. And, and Dallas, you should know that the first cop, that the, state, the first statement that the cop gave, um, you know, after he regrouped and, and got back up was that, uh, Mr. Hernandez disarmed him and then ceased uh, ceased aggression and fled. And then later, when when he was interviewed, uh, he the cop changed his story and said when he, he testified. Him. Yeah, when he when testified. he testified. Yeah, he changed his story. Um, clearly, if I mean if, if I mean just being a pragmatist or kind of a pragmatist. Um, wow. If he wanted to kill him, he would have killed him. Well, keep in mind that this is happening in front of his pregnant girlfriend. Oh, no shit. Who's screaming at him, don't kill him, Alvaro, don't kill him. Okay. So, you know, even more reason for him not to threaten or do anything. Mm -hmm. Because... You know, he doesn't want to to do that in front of his woman. Yeah. No, I I mean I think by all accounts, but you know, and um, and and Alvaro Hernandez is definitely worth some research, Alec. Uh, um, you know, I think that it's definitely, you know, born into a really shitty situation in Texas. Fuck. Texas, with all due respect to those who live in Texas. Sorry, um, Michael. I know. Uh, <laughs> in you know, in the you know, in sort of the. In I'm not the a Texan. Of, it's okay. In the boom of the the anti-immigration, the first 
anti-immigration, anti-Latino um, uh, uh, bigotry, like where it was just off the chain, you know, the second sort of the second cycle. Of, well, I mean, uh, the whole idea of being anti-immigration is so hypocritical, right? Because it's white folks that have come to this land and conquered it. And now they're saying that the indigenous folks who crossed the border, right, with this completely fictitious border, the Rio Grande was never meant to be a demarcation on a map between Texas and Mexico. That was all one land, and people just crossed back and forth. I mean, read Gloria Anzaldúa's Borderlands, for starters. Fantastic book, though. Although, um, I, I mean, I completely agree with you on, on, on you know, that – uh, moral level, I mean, as a even as somebody who claims that they're a capitalist yet is anti-immigration, that's like where you can really chip away at the argument for 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 people being anti-immigration. They don't understand even the the fundamentals of how our economic system works. They don't even understand who does the first tier of every fucking job in this country. Without them, we would have nothing. So people who celebrate themselves... Without them, we wouldn't have our strawberries. I wouldn't have my strawberries. Their fucking fries and their Big Macs and their mescaline mix and their arugula and their chopped garlic. None of that. It would be done. No milk. No beer. Nobody would pick hops. Like, done. So... You know, like, although on a poetic level, I completely agree with you that the, that the backwards-ass thinking of the less than 50 years ago, this this country was second-generation immigrants, the greatest generation on the face of this, in this country, right, supposedly, uh, that less than three decades later, those, the children of those people could become, become so anti-immigrant you know, it, it's just indicative of, of the short-term memory problem this culture has. And 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 beyond that, I mean, to to claim that you know anything about economics and say that you got to stop the border and stop the people coming in, well, guess what? Then you'd go to the grocery store, you wouldn't be able to get what you wanted. And then you would cry, and then you would complain, and then you would say, oh, my God, I can't get exactly what I want. Like, this is the problem. You know, it, it it's it's a complete disconnect between what people spew out of their fucking mouths, you know, between what what actually happens. There's no connection. People don't know. You know, uh, sorry, I got frustrated there for a minute. Just just because it's like the the and and that's why I asked you about Alvin on like if you would talk to him like what he thinks about now with uh, you know the the real possibility that we could have, you know, a, a Republican president who would do unspeakable things to our economy, um, to our social system, to, to basically, like, the culture that we all hold precious, the little bit of it that remains, um, you know, and I, I, I'm, just, I'm just so curious as somebody who's seen so much would think of what's, what's going on now as opposed to what was going on when he got locked up. Yeah, but it's politics. That's all it is. It's a wedge issue. All Everybody who wants to be president knows how the economy really works. And it doesn't work without illegals and without immigrants. So they'll make all the noise they want to generate votes, but they're not going to do anything about it. 
I mean, that's plain. I think the issue is it's not just the economists that are full of shit, but it's also the so-called patriots. Because, like you said, it was the Europeans that came here and destroyed everything in their path to make this white man land. Well, I mean, people like Alvaro do not accept that the Mexican territory north of the Rio Grande is American territory. Correct. I mean, you know, it's it's just like native North Americans in parts of the United States, in Oklahoma, in the Dakotas. They just simply don't recognize the United States. Fuck you. This is our land. So, you know, I mean, that's a big deal. And like was mentioned earlier on, that the studies of the way justice is dealt out in the Southwest, you know, you can talk about the Southeast against African Americans, but it's always been in the Southwest. It's been against Chicano, Latino. They are, they get the same treatment there. And, you know, what Alvaro represents by his choice, the way I see it, is almost like a Latino Black Panthers, you know? Fuck you guys. Fuck you guys. We, you know, we're people too. We're here. We help. We build. We've always fucking been here. Yeah. So, you know, I mean, that's the thing that doesn't get presented in the corporate media. Because I would love it if I would love it if, if, if Hispanic immigrants, legal, illegal, undocumented, document, visa, whatever, and the and the Native American indigenous people just all got together and fucked shit up. Like they got numbers there. You think about that. You do you know, you do a little arithmetic. They got May the I numbers. jump in? Yeah, absolutely. It's your show. <laughs> so I think that one of the things that I love about Alvaro is that he said things to me like, I mean, don't get me wrong, he's definitely told me to check my white privileges on more than one occasion, but he's also told me this movement needs to include all of us. And what made him so damn dangerous that they had to stick him in a hole for 13 years, this time around, right? Remember, he was under solitary confinement conditions for 18 years on his second stint. So you put that together, Alvaro Luna Hernandez has been in solitary confinement for just shy of how long I've been alive. Right? And the amount of time that he has spent in prison is longer than my lifetime. I think if you combine it, it's almost, it is almost 40 years. More. Yeah, 43 to be precise. So what makes him so dangerous? He can organize work stoppages across racial lines. And he's very effective at it. And he can talk to pacifist middle-class professors like me, right, labor aristocrats. And he can talk to some poor kid off the street. And we all learn from him. So, you know, I don't think that he would say that I have to go back to Italy because this is his indigenous land. Yeah. I think he would say that I need to respect that just as I came here, you know, there were people who were here before me. And we need to respect their history and their culture and their autonomy. And we Mm -hmm. all need to commingle, you know? And I love breakfast tacos. And I love (laughs) Sinead. 
Right? Like everybody who lives in Texas, I love these two things. And I love a great deal many other things about Chicano culture. You know, mm-hmm. um, I adore Frida Kahlo. I would love if, if I could have any one artist, you know, do a portrait of me. I think it very well would be Frida Kahlo. Yeah. Um, that would be an absolute honor. So how do you, how do you, how do you, because, um, again, you do a lot of shit, you know, just uh, um, in, in these circles. How, how do you check white privilege? I think almost everybody here is, is listening. I definitely have white privilege. Uh, I like to think that uh, I, I own it, so then it makes it a, you know, I don't know, I can't even articulate it. But how do you, how do you, how do you deal with white privilege when you're dealing with people like Alvaro? So I would like to punt that question to a person that I really look up to, uh, Lorenzo Camboe Urban. And he wrote a fantastic book that I'm... Pardon? They don't sound white. Huh? They don't sound white. (laughs) I said, how do you check white privilege when you're you're dealing with, with... you know, with activists, you know, not Occupy Wall Street activists. Um, no, even you know, Occupy so Wall Street activists, like most of us were white. So what I'm telling you is I think no, the that's best what person I'm saying. To act- exactly. How do you how do you deal with, with people like Alvaro? Like I mean I'm I'm this is a serious question because I have an issue with it. I don't you know, sometimes I never did growing up but you know, I I uh it, you know, I think it becomes an, an impediment to, like, real connection um, sometimes, um, you know, to – there's an awkwardness. How do you get over that? You and Alvaro certainly have. Is it just the, the recognition? Well, I think, first of all, we're – we have a lot of respect for each other because we both know that the other person is stubborn, is not going to change their mind based on threats and their heart is in the right place. Right on. So being that we want the same things, um, that helps. Now, I am blessed that one of the very first prisoner who ever wrote me back, um, my comrade Migs of the NATO Five, you know, talked to me while I was driving up to see Oliver for the first time in a while. And um, we needed to talk a little bit about my unionizing efforts and the fact that I unionized with campus police, which, um, you know, doesn't make Alvaro happy. It doesn't make any orthodox anarchist happy. And nevertheless, it is this thing I do. So I'm driving up to see Alvaro for his birthday. Um, I'm rolling one on him. I didn't tell him I was coming. And uh, Migs tells me, I need you to be humble because you do not understand Thank God you don't understand what he's been through or even what I've been through. And you can't understand how much he hates cops. You just can't. And thank goodness that you can't. But you need to understand that you can't. And then he reminded me that I apologized profusely to him once because um, I had found out that he was in SEG after I thought I had written him a letter telling him some unpleasant news. And it turns out I never sent it, but 
he used that as an avenue to call me out on not being very consistent in my correspondence, which is true. And um, after he got out, I told him the contents of the letter, and we talked about it. We're going to talk but, about correspondence in a minute, so you continue. We'll talk about it. So anyway, while I'm driving up to see Alvaro, Miggs tells me, I know you can be humble, and I know you know how to say when you were wrong because you did it to me. And remember, he's in that hole, and you just listen. And I did that, and, you know... When I saw him and he smiled at me, I knew everything was going to be okay, and I gave him his hamburgers and uh, some pie for his birthday lunch, two hamburgers and a pecan pie and uh, a soda. And, you know, we hung out for a couple hours, and we talked, and it was good. You know, and we come from very different places, but he recognizes that I have a fire in my belly, and... um, you know, I've made it clear to him that if I'm wrong, then it's his place to show me that I am and persuade me. You know? Um, but I represent him. So there are things that Alboro says that I do not say that I say on his behalf. You know? I mean, he has been in shootouts with cops. Yeah. I mean, is that a decision I, mean, he's, I would he's make? Clearly no. Like hard, he's clearly hardcore. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, his hardcoreness cannot be questioned. No, no, not at all. Um, and this is to take my word for it. I, I, I read the article. Brother Man goes hard. Um, now, how? I mean, I, Can I we go back to you... a question you asked earlier that I really wanted to answer that I didn't get a chance to? Yes, as long as you promise that before we before that before we move on and have callers on that that you plug the. Um, the Twitter storm tomorrow. Um, there's a, you know, most of the people who are listening are friends with people who are, who you who are involved with it, so uh, they should all know. And uh, yeah, so back to the this is my answer. first Twitter storm. Everybody, please turn out. Um, yeah. I've never been a part of planning a Twitter storm, and I would just like to say that this is not in any shape or form my Twitter storm. It belongs to Ghost of Uplib. Um. If it belongs to anyone, it belongs to Alvaro, of course, um, collective action and all of that. But um, I'm just here to talk about Alvaro. But, yes, absolutely, we are having a fantastic Twitter storm tomorrow. That's 2 p.m. for our listeners that are on the East Coast, 1 p.m. for those of you who share a time zone with me, noon for those of us joining us from the Mountain States, and on the West Coast, that will be 11. So go ahead and... Set your app to tweet out some shit, including Alvaro's new Wikipedia page. Thanks to Silerius for getting that online. Um, it needs a Spanish version. There are, are articles that haven't been put out yet. So make me look like Barrett Brown and get on that shit. Update the Wikipedia page. Is that enough plugging, my friend? That that was awesome. Absolutely. And um, you know what was interesting, just talking about about. You know, Happy the, birthday to Warmer! Yes, it is Warmer's birthday now. Yesterday. Yesterday. Oh, yeah, it's eleven twenty-six. So today. But it's, but either way, the interesting thing is they're the only um, sort of search engine results uh, for 
I'll, I didn't I'll, get to answer my question. Say it. Say, it. say the first name for me. Out, Mr. Hernandez. You asked, how do I check my white privilege? Yes. And my answer is, you don't ask me that question. You ask a man named Lorenzo Camboe Irvin because he has an entire book that is devoted to helping white activists to check their race-based oppression. Is he white? No. So how does he know? Because <laughs> um, he is at the bottom of Isn't the racial like hierarchy, a, like right? Is writing a book on dude, how to be a black activist? Sort of? Kind of? Can, can no, you no. please just read his book? I will. Please. I definitely will. I certainly will. But I mean, he no, has two. So right now, I'm reading Anarchism and the Black Revolution, but he also has a book whose title escapes me right now. Please, somebody go look it up. That's basically a workshop series that activists can put on together to check their white privilege. And he basically no. just asks that people check their white privilege before they try to organize in communities of color. So that, mm-hmm. you know, we don't end up sounding like idiots, which gets to that second question of, you know, how am I friends with Alvaron? And like any friendship, you know, like sometimes he says stupid shit and sometimes I say stupid shit. And uh, we call each other out on the stupid shit that the other person does. You know, and that's the relationship that I have with all the guys I support. And women. Now, just, now, just because you know, I'm gonna, I'm gonna be frank with you. If somebody said to me, "You're gonna come to this white privilege workshop with me," I would say, "What you need to do is go fuck yourself." I am not going. I am not going to a white privilege workshop. Now, I mean, that's the wrong way to describe it. I, you know. Yeah. Okay. All right. Go ahead. Go ahead. Okay, well, what if we call it undoing racism? Would you come to a workshop called undoing racism? No, I well, see, once you say workshop, I'm out. You know what I mean? You got What if I call it a party? If I said we're going to throw a party, now you're talking. Now you're okay, and we're going to undo racism. Is there booze? No, no. Oh, god, there's cookies. Okay, what kind? And don't give me no, no oatmeal uh, chop Chocolate chip oatmeal. Okay, chocolate chip oatmeal, I'm in. Okay. Now, <laughs> see, I mean, no, I'm just being real. Like, I mean, no, okay, like, well, listen. Listen, I though. Think I mean, told Alvaro he needs to go to, like, a how to be a fucking respectful Hispanic workshop, he would say, go fuck yourself. Okay, but the issue here is you don't understand That's why... That's true. He has zero interest in ever becoming anything that would remotely qualify him as an Uncle Tom. I think that Albro would 120% support that statement, but I think that if he were asked to go to a how to be a better ally to black women workshop, he'd go to that. Okay, um, now you get it close. You still use workshop, but how to be an ally to black women. I would how to that. be... Okay, you know what? So black women scare me. And, Auntie. And, and I don't want it to be like that. Auntie. Yes, sir. Well, I think, you know, there's the myth of the formidable black woman who can do everything. Um, and, you know, there are women like Brie Newsome who climb on top of flagpoles 
and bring them down the flags that, was some that are crazy shit right there. That was some crazy fucking awesome shit. So you know, <laughs> um, I have a no heroes no masters tattoo. But I would just like to say that I think Brie Newsom is a very awesome possibility model um, for people everywhere of every age, every race, every gender, every class. Um, that was just fucking awesome. First of all, she can climb a flagpole, right? So right there, forget about it. She's a hero, you know? No heroes. Then, then you, I mean, we're all heroes. Give me up a fucking flagpole like that. Like, the shape you have hello? to be in is incredible. Hello? And second You're of all, hello? The, the oh. destination. Hello, hello. Hello. Hello, hello. Hey. hello, hello. Auntie, you're reminding me of of another BTR host. The way you're going off topic here. Sorry, Glenn. Now, Glenn, am I no, on? Just, yes, you're on. But just let me explain this. He has okay. an issue. He has an issue with a Latino telling whites how to be more more oh, sensitive no, to Latinos. Black. Lorenzo's black, y'all. He's not Latino, and he's not Alvaro. We got really confused somewhere. Okay, okay. So he's not white. He's not white. This is his issue. He's saying that somebody who's not white cannot tell white people how to behave. That's what he said, basically. Okay. Now, up here, when we do protests with the First Nations, we, we have meetings, and the people who tell us what's what are the First Nations because we want to help them so we want to learn how to do that and there ain't no white person who can tell us that well hang on a second I think that sometimes (laughs) that's Dalek I don't think that's me that I think might be uh, friendly that oh, is yeah. not me. Not yeah, it's probably me because uh, I just wanted to bring on Warmer to surprise <laughs> her and have her wish him a happy birthday and have everybody wish him a happy birthday live on the oh, air. Good evening, Higinio. Happy birthday. <laughs> well, thank you very much. I hope it's, thank I you, hope thank it's you a good much. one. It's it's going to be a memorable one. What it's going to be. <laughs> well, thank it's you. My first, uh, it's my first birthday. We're coming on to Third Rail Radio to uh, actually, so then we can say happy birthday. I really appreciate it. I three-wayed him in. He did, he had no idea. I kind of just like <laughs> crept and into his life and just like took over. He took my call, so he took my link. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's a that's a hell of a surprise. It's it's nice to have you on the show. Yes, I agree what you said. That is a big deal. Your first birthday as a free man. Indeed, brother. Yep. Congratulations, man. We're all happy you're out and fuck to be able to wish you a happy birthday live on the air is pretty fucking sweet, man. I yep. heard her say well, that, I think... and I totally forgot, man. I feel so bad, right? Because we've been catching up lately. <laughs> but yeah, dude, happy fucking belated birthday, dude. Yeah, we all got the tweets well, in yesterday. Again, Where I, were I you? <laughs> I was coding, coding till dawn, dude. 
<laughs> Sorry. I, then, no, then, then I can I I can appreciate I can appreciate somebody who misses my birthday to code. Seriously, bro, you know how it goes. The hours just fly by, dude. But seriously, I feel bad, and uh, she reminded me, so I thank her for reminding me, and kind of reminding all of us. And I just uh, sort of take the show off the topic there for a sec. I didn't want to take up too much of your time, but I wanted to do that for you, bro. Well, but well I appreciate it, bro. Right? Of course I do. Of course I do. It's a tangled web. Mm-hmm. That's what the show's about, actually. Yeah, I mean... Our in particular? Yeah. Uh, yeah, we're yeah, trying to bring attention to it I'm all. I'm trying to collect myself, so I'm heading to the fridge to get beer. Uh, but uh, welcome to the show. Happy birthday. It fucking warm my heart, all the tweets yesterday. Um, uh, to see your better half. And uh, yeah, welcome to the show with... We're talking about Alvaro Hernandez. That was that was weak again. I can't do the fucking first name. Um, he can't pronounce. You it did right. it beautifully. You just keep forgetting the Luna. Alvaro, Alvaro oh, Luna. Luna. But anyway, warmer. I didn't want to take up too much of your time, brother. Man, so welcome to the show. <laughs> well, I, I I do have some friends here that I, I have to get back to. Um, they came into town for uh, just for the special night. So, um, I love all of you. You guys take care. Never stop learning, and uh, make sure you guys get uh, Alvaro's case heard. Because, for sure, uh, right on. Thanks for uh, thanks for doing this little call here, brother. No problem. Happy yeah, morning, brother. <laughs> all right, tell Kyle I said hi. Later. I will. Bye. All right. Bye. So, could I ask you um, why why um, does the Texas Correctional Department, whatever, um, really want them still in that area? I mean, just still in prison. I mean, how long was supposed to be his sentence? 50 years. Oh, he was sentenced to 50 years. Okay. So he has served 18 years. He is eligible for parole in seven when he comes up to half his sentence. Hmm. That's rough, for, dude. For yeah. a crime he never did. Well, for a series of crimes that he never committed, right? Yeah. The only thing well, he actually did was set a cop issue. car on fire. Yep. Yeah, they took a personal interest in him, so. Oh, yes. Should you do? You know, like I said, the only other comparison I can think of is Leonard Peltier, who's been in jail damn near as long. You know, it's the exact same thing, except he's a native North American Indian, and Alvaro is a native Chicano to that fucking land. Well, that's a perfect segue. Um, I mean, let's. I mean, just if, you know, if you do a little a little research on on Alvaro, then you see how many how many cases are similar to this, and um, um, and, and the, the organization that that really helps out sometimes. I mean, how many are on that list? I mean, your work is pretty tireless. Um, I mean, it's not well, just Alvaro that, you, that, that you, you guys are helping out. I mean, there's a lot. Sure. So just to draw some strings here, you know, we have our Hispanics, so-called um, prisoners and people that we do post-release support for. So I got the joy of taking Warmer home 
when he came home to his wife and son. And I got to see Brody playing on his tricycle and saying, look here, dad, and being willing to go down the hallway instead of just clinging to his father's leg because he knew that his father had come home. You, you got to be shitting me. Yeah, I can see that. And he just called into the show? Yeah. Holy That's shit. horror. I think I'm, levi- I think I'm levitating. <laughs> I, don't, um, I don't think I so should. I don't think you didn't know that was his, bro? What's wrong with you? No, I knew that was Say his, ten Hail Marys, dog. You, I, I knew that was his. Ten Hail Marys right now. I didn't. I, I knew that was Taylor, but I didn't know. I didn't know that Liberty drove him. Drove him. Okay, let me tell you how much I love Wormer and why. So when we got evicted by those sixty riot cops, Wormer was fucking with us on live stream, and so was the entirety of Cabin Crew. And when Cabin Crew threatened Kit O'Connell, who hasn't called in yet, I'm sorry, not with Cabin Crew. When the cop Mistrick threatens Kit O'Connell with crowd control pepper spray, direct application, which I didn't see directly because I was across the street trying to get a wide shot film. Um, Cabin crew was there with us, and they docked Mistrick. And it's the least of their hacks, you know, in terms of what the powers that be have to say, but it's the one that's the most important to me. So, yeah, that I got to welcome Wormer home was fucking awesome. Um, because he was an occupier and an anon, and yeah. I stand in full solidarity with his actions, no matter what I might have said to Fox News that was less enthusiastic a few years ago. Um, but, you know, Warmer is obviously Higinio Ochoa, um, Hispanic, and then Eric John Marquez, also Hispanic, right, who called me earlier from uh, Houston City Jail, so I need to give you his update. And then we have Alvaro Luna Hernandez, also Hispanic, um, who's been sitting in solitary confinement on this stint for 13 years. So just to draw a little pretty bow around, you know, our, I guess, our anonymous Chicano uh, resistance connection tonight. Um, the community's tight. Yeah, it's, that's pretty cool. Um, Three us one. Yep. Yep. <laughs> Yeah, really, like who's got the tunes going? Like that whoever the fuck that is, shut the fuck up. Thank you. Sorry. <laughs> it was uh, somebody watching it in the background noise of uh, YouTube, and, you know, they got a up fucking loud as hell. So um, I remember a prisoner, one of the three that I just mentioned, I won't say which one, telling me that while um, in segregation, there was a guy next to him who was rapping so badly that he was close to just breaking down and on his hands and knees begging the guard, please just let me go in there 
and kill him, and I will gladly do an extra 10 years if I just never have to hear his rapping again. (laughs) (laughs) And there was another guy that I support, who we haven't mentioned tonight, who had a conversion under similar conditions, but we were talking about Alvaro, and we were talking about Eric John Marquez, and we were talking about Warmer. So let's get back to Alvaro. And let's go back to, it was a gorgeous year, um, 1996. Alvaro's son is born while Alvaro is incarcerated. And this is really awful because um, at this point, the mother had her parental rights terminated. She had struggled with drugs, had been clean when she was with Alvaro. And um, when he got incarcerated, she gave birth to the baby. And then shortly thereafter, the state wanted to take the child. And Alvaro wanted to testify to try to keep his parental rights and say that he was innocent. And they would not let him go to the trial. They said that he was a flight risk um, because of his previous jailbreak and that it was just not relevant to the court to hear his testimony. In 97, Aldafe Guerra is freed and returns to Mexico, later to die slash be a story you believe his car malfunctioned. And then in 97, Alvaro is finally sentenced to 50 years for the crime of aggravated assault on a peace officer. Now, it should be mentioned that pretty much everybody in Alvaro's case is dead, um, so Sheriff McDaniels, who I believe bore false witness against Alvaro, um, if you believe in God, has met that particular judgment. Um, but because of the enhancement on the prior murder conviction, because remember, that wasn't overturned. He was just paroled, right? Hey, Glenn, are you still there? Yes. 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 Do you have uh, ghosts on the on hold? I don't see anybody who's pressed one that is not ghost. known. No. Oh, ghost you mean uh, Oplib? Yeah. Yeah. I didn't get to say hello to Warmer. That really sucks. Oh well, it doesn't matter. How are you okay, guys? I promise, I promise Ghost of Oplib that he will get to say happy birthday to Warmer at Warmer's birthday party tomorrow. I make that a okay. promise. Okay, that'll work for me. I'll take that. What time is that at? Okay, now this sounds what? like he, he held out for a better fucking deal than we got now. What time is the party at? Well, you know, this is Ghost of Oplib's Twitter storm, so for him to get silenced is really pretty unfair. I'm just coming oh, in no, as a subject not. matter expert on Alvaro, that's all. Oh, I, I, I don't think it was a silence. I think it's BTR. I think uh, whoever, yeah. whoever was raising their hand would, would be on. But Ghost, welcome to the show, and uh, um, this is a great endeavor, uh, you know, Shit, right? Early this morning we talked about it and um, started. No, dude, like, here's how I experienced this. Can I just interrupt you for a second? I've been screaming (laughs) Alvaro's name from every fucking rooftop I could get my hands on for like a year and a half. 
okay? And it just really felt like nobody gave a shit. And a couple of people cared, right? Like, you know, obviously there's like at least, let's say, 50 to 100 people who write to Albro, um, you know, some more regularly than others, many for years. A giant shout-out to Twitch, you know, a shout-out to the Denver ABC and the New York City ABC and the Jericho Project. There are people who've been writing to Albro for over a decade, okay? But as far as I'm concerned, what happened in the last 72 hours is that Ghost of Oplib woke up and realized that Albro Luna Hernandez existed, and all of a sudden, a whole bunch of people who I didn't know, or, okay, I knew them, but they didn't know me, let's put it that way, want to talk to me about Alvaro Luna. And I'm like, holla, motherfucking Luya, yes, let's have a Twitter storm, let's have a radio show, let's have Warmer call in. You know, let's <laughs> include a picture of Jeremy Hammond saying that he's thankful that he's able to shine some light on Alvaro's case because his case doesn't need anywhere near as much attention. You know, right. let's have clear, the entirety clear, of Anonymous clear. wake the fuck up and realize that, you know, you guys fucking posted discussion boards about wanting to set cars on fire. This dude motherfucking did it, you know, and he's been a marked man ever since. And he, you know, he's like, I'm an indigenous liberationist. I'm not down with the word occupy, but I'm down with any resistance movement. And whatever the fuck you guys call yourselves, Wherever you are in your process of resistance and self-analysis, I will meet you there, and I will help you take there, get a step further. And, like, oh. I want you to understand, I don't want you to write to Alvaro because, like, you should feel sorry for him. I want you to write to Alvaro because he's a motherfucking awesome human being, and you, too, can get, you know, a three- to 40-page letter, depending on how the dice roll for you, from Alvaro answering whatever question you want. So let go read Let Freedom Ring and read at least his portion of it, right? All right and hold like, on. come and up with some questions. Don't let me forget. We don't have a lot of time left, but we are going to get to correspondence, but I definitely want to give uh, Ghost, um, you know, the floor for a while. And uh, how did you, you know, how did you first hear about um, Alvaro? I and, saw uh, a tweet by Liberty Herbert at the Courage Foundation, who should be covering Alvaro's uh, case, saying that he's been in solitary for 13 years. And I'm sorry, but uh, I did eight months in solitary when I was a teen, um, and I certainly know what it did to my mind. I can't imagine what 13 years is like. I can't imagine what the other 18 years that he did in solitary were like. And, you know, for you to thank me, though, Liberty, or, or to, to even give me any credit is silly. I've barely done anything. I, I, I do thank you, though. That's really wonderful. You guys have done so much work. I, well, I mean, but I, uh, reviewing this, this endeavor, there's been a lot of work with a lot of good people. Um, and for Ghost, for you to get involved, um, you know, regardless of whatever you say about anything, you know, kind of, um, what Liberty says is true. It's, uh, uh, there's an exposure value. Um, and my God, I don't want to say the wrong thing, but you know what I'm getting at. And and clearly a lot more people know about what, what's going on with Alvaro Hernandez that than were, you know, 48 hours ago. Um, you know, <laughs> who's chuckling? I am. About me? 
the girl okay, in the room so seriously, before we go into overtime, uh, I want you guys to talk about what time the Twitter storm is and all that shit. Get that all out on the live air before we go into overtime. Yeah, okay. yeah. Um, it, 1 p.m. Central that, Standard, but, dude, we have to go into overtime because I still haven't told you about the suicide in Houston City oh, no, Jail sure. that but happened I'm today. For the live listeners, no, no, I know that. And they're going to be able yeah, to download the archive. Do but but right now, the, yeah, yeah. For sure. Just like just take a few minutes and just tell everybody like what time the Twitter storm is and stuff like that. Just like point form. Go for liberty if you don't mind. Me specifically. Yes, go for one p.m. Central Standard Time. Go. There's a pace bin. Occupy Austin has tweeted it. Paps has tweeted it. Um, You're in on news. Sure. Uh, Cryptosphere, I believe. Kit O'Connell, uh, Douglas Lucas, Carrie Mache, um, lots of people have been tweeting about it, thanks to all of them. Um, so, yeah, tomorrow it's Antifa Prisoners Day, okay? So we are celebrating those folks who engage in militant resistance to fascists. Solidarity to Rashid Johnson, solidarity to the Hammond twins, Jeremy and Jason, uh, both beat up Nazis, solidarity to Sean Swain, solidarity to Blackjack, solidarity to um, people in long-term solitary confinement, 43 years, Albert Woodfox, that is a fucking shame. Write a letter to Albert Woodfox right now or do it tomorrow at 1 p.m., Central Standard, 2 p.m. on the Eastern Seaboard, or 11 o'clock for those of you who are tuning in from California or the West Coast, such as my friend Mizz, if you are on the same shore as Church or NATO 5, uh, then you are tuning in at 2 p.m. If you are in the Central Mountain Time, you are tuning in at noon. Um, if you're in Toronto, such as Sarah Faulkner and the Toronto ABC, when do you tune in, Glenn? Two o'clock. How do you keep track of all that? That's incredible. I can barely keep track of fucking the day. <laughs> if yeah. you're tuning in I mean, that's, from that's Naples, remarkable. Italy, you would tune in at 8 p.m., Oh, that's a good one. 8 p.m.? That's a really yeah. good one. Santa Maria. And aside from the Twitter right. storm, do you guys have any other support in coordination? We want postcards. The whole point is, look, let's show that Twitter activism turns into real results. I want to see how exactly. many motherfucking postcards does Alvaro get, okay? So how, I know how many Jeremy gets and Barrett gets when I stand in front of Stratford with, you know, a dozen of my friends, and um, we gather how many postcards? You know, I think it was in the neighborhood of 60. Um, so I want to get a letter from Alvaro telling me I got 600 postcards from Anonymous. I want to get a letter from Alvaro that says I don't have enough money to buy stamps to write all these people. That's what I want. Okay, And, I, mean, and cool. I want uh, twice as many so for valuable. Albert Woodfox. Do you want to talk about the website? Because that's, that's how I got introduced to this whole thing. Ghost passed me on the website. I took a look. Then he asked me to do a couple of things. 
And uh, do you want to talk about the website for a bit and how you can reach out and contact? Because I saw a lot of contact information there at the bottom that looks interesting. And maybe the yeah, public doesn't know about I'll, it. I'll, and I'll post the link. Um, real right. Quick. Um, I'm sorry, are we talking about the paste bin, freealbro.net? No, the website. Or godhatesprison.com? No, the website. No, the Freealbro. Freealbro. Dot org. Website. Yeah, okay, freealbro. so freealbro.net. Um, was is beautiful. It was created by Angela, and I will make sure that she gets proper credit for that. Um, in solidarity to her and her entire family, and Gloria, her dog, and um, well, where go? Yeah, but I mean, it tells you how to write to Alvaro. It tells you about past actions that we've done. We need people. To update that website, trusted people who are willing to take the credentials um, and just I'll be... take that. I'll take that. Yeah, Mr. Mr. Friendly Smoker will take that, and Mr. Friendly Smoker will help you with whatever you need website-wise. He's really awesome. Yeah. That's well, what I was trying to get. He has to ask the more, Alvaro. The more like, grimy tasks on to me. I would love to help. Okay, we will make sure that everybody who wants to help can help. Right. Okay, just get in touch with me after the show. Awesome. Alright. Hey, well, so yeah, five, five, and five, postcard. Hello. When? And we will have ambulatory <laughs> postcard writing from Occupy Austin as well, I hear. So, I mean justices as far as somebody who's seen uh you know <laughs> somebody's face when they receive letters and stuff. How important is it when when uh, people who are incarcerated receive, uh, you know, sort of encouragement and, um, you know, and just communication from the outside? It's vital. Are you kidding? It's like oxygen. Well, that's why I'm asking the question. Yeah. Before we run well, out of time... May I jump you, in? Yeah, I have a stu- I have a former student who's a former correctional officer. He wrote in his paper, it's quote, fucking like being Santa Claus, and yes, I have to use the fucking. <laughs> so I mean, I mean, that's what it's like to deliver mail. Like a, li- a lifeline to to people who are incarcerated. So, um, you know, the Twitter. Storms, um, you know, sometimes they, they sort of get uh, marginalized or, or sort of trivialized. But the fact of the matter is, for the people on the receiving end, they're incredibly important. Um, and uh, you know, so write, fucking write one good letter, spin five out of it, and send them all in. But write. All right, guys. Um, we have about three minutes until the show. Matter of fact, two. But uh. Anything else? I also can I say something? Um, Absolutely. Ghost. Um, I just want to say also there's an awesome app called Flickershop or Flickshop, um, and it allows you to send postcards to prisoners. It's pretty simple and easy. So get on that if you can't write a physical letter. You know, Flick. it's not hard to do. Flickshop. Flickshop. F L I K S H O P dot com, and it's like yeah, less than a buck, and it sends you can put any kind started of picture by you a want former inmate. Oh, yep, really? Cool. Was it? 
That's awesome. Yeah, I'm about to post the link. Another, another great, another great, just you know, conceptual thing to be addressing. Who's is, got the background on again? Can someone turn that off? I just, it's not me. I promise. I just got it. Right. Are we going into overtime? Well, yeah. yeah, I don't, I don't think everybody's hanging up in a minute and ten. Okay. Bye. <laughs> All right then. Bye. Bye. I, I, I want a chance to talk to Liberty, and I think the, the rest of the people listening in would be uh, it'd be okay for them to hear. Cool. Go ahead, Neil. No, we're definitely going into overtime. I'll let Go it ahead. offset for the next sixty seconds until it, it until the show's off. <laughs> All right. Well, so as far as the, you know, the base of tonight's topic, um, I'll, I'm going to have a speech impediment when I say this. Alvaro Hernandez, um, Twitter storm going off um, at uh, 2 p.m. Eastern, and that's as far as I'm going to go, um, as far as time zone goes. A um, lot of cool people involved in this. Obviously, if you give Alvaro a, a Google, um, you'll realize what a, um, an unknown, unknown soldier he is. So uh, that is, um, that's going to kick off tomorrow, and then... Um, and right, right people, right Jeremy, right Barrett, you know, whether you agreed with them on the outside or not. Uh, right, Maya. What's that? Maya of the NATO so, Five. Yeah. How do you, how do you need contact to write Maya? Um, now, hang on a second. That does need to be addressed to her dead name. So outside, it does have to say Jared Chase. Um, but please, on the inside of the card, it's addressed to Maya. She doesn't usually write back. So if you're the kind of person who doesn't want a letter back, she's great to write to. Barrett doesn't write you back. You know, there are some people who just don't write back. So if you do not want to receive postcards, then please focus on the people who just want to get them back. Does that make sense? Yes. Yes. It makes It makes perfect sense. And and to uh, ghost, you know, I hope it's clear that the point I was making earlier is how important it is that people receive communication while they're incarcerated. It's it's vital. I mean, yeah. there's there's absolutely no there's nothing like it. It gives you the outside when you're everything that's being kept from you, everything that the state is trying to keep from you, is given to you in a letter, in a way. Well, not everything, but at least a piece of it. You know, you get oh, the humanity what, in it. You stay yeah. connected to humanity. Right. Right. Okay, like everybody should know, we're in overtime by now. So what's the question, Neil? Um uh, I would like to get contact information for Liberty and find out more about what's going on in terms of uh, the whole prison reform thing. Um Abolition. Do you recognize do you recognize my name at all? With whom am I speaking? Neil Rauhauser. Neil Rauhauser. No. Um No. Okay, I had well, a couple of beers. Just... Yeah, Help we're me good. Out. Moving on. <laughs> okay. Uh, <laughs> if you, if all right. you Google I think me, this you is a little bit better. <laughs> Hello. Check, Mike check. One, two, three. Overtime. Has it started? Three, 
break the awkwardness. Please carry on, Neil. I'm going to do an Oprah chasing dog. Right. Uh, right. Let Neil talk, dude. Somebody okay. give me how to spell Everybody. Neil's name. Everybody, shh. If you Google my name, you'll find out just awful, awful shit about me. And if you start asking around on Twitter, you will very quickly learn that I am a famous snitch. And this is, uh, and this is, I have the most finely tailored snitch jacket you can possibly imagine. Um, at the moment, I have some is bullshit. Is it as good as Migs is? Um, I have some bullshit misdemeanor charges hanging over me in New Jersey. And uh, a guy named Brandon Darby uh, committed some crimes, and they've been trying to frame me for them for the last four years. Solidarity um, to Brad Crowder. Yeah, Spiker <laughs> and I would take care of Brandon Darby for ten dollars. And solidarity to the God Pro. And nobody fuck Brandon Darby. Nobody fuck what? Brandon Darby. Solidarity to sex workers unions. Let us make sure that Brandon Darby never gets a blowjob ever for the rest of his life. So, Darby has pulled this shit, and I've gone through four frivolous lawsuits in the last 36 months. Most recently, I won a precedent-setting uh, case in the state of Texas against a guy named James McGibney. And uh, the next suit I do will be the shit in New Jersey, and if I'm lucky, I'll be able to retire off that. Uh, you know, in 2012, defendant. in 2012, I packed up, there were two former FBI agents in Congress, Mike Grimm and New York 11, and I packed up and spent four months in his district, and then I packed up and headed west and spent four months in uh, Mike Rogers' district. He was in Michigan 8. Uh, Grimm got indicted, and, like, just, like, he's off to prison as of last week. He got, like, eight months. And with Rogers, we dug up a CI that uh, he had been running that was framing union officials. And the FBI Agents Association wanted him for the new director. And based on the research I did that summer, he kind of didn't even get nominated. Um, let's see. What else have I done? Uh, Marine Corps whistleblower Franz Gale. No prosecution. We roamed around on Capitol Hill and promised mayhem for any politicians that weren't backing him. This is the guy that got our troops the properly armored vehicles they needed. Um, there's a guy that uh, in our little mailing group with, with Glenn and I, a guy named John Kiriakou, who just got out after serving two years for being a whistleblower on torture. He was about to get sent back, and we swooped in and lined him up with the employment he needed. Uh, John and I are now talking, and there's a guy named Jeffrey Sterling, who's had pretty much a similar experience. He'll be getting out right around the beginning of 2018, and uh, if we're on our game, he'll have some gainful employment as soon as he hits the gate. So I have, uh, I don't do anything in public because I'm such a lightning rod, but in the background, there are a number of whistleblowers that uh, their path has been eased because I've stretched out my hand and done things. And uh, after years of legend making, I actually am working for the federal government. I Hold on, define legend making. Um, all of this bullshit that's gone on in public and what really happens in private, which are two very different things. And 
at the start of this year, I started working for a guy who's an expert witness in the federal public defenders program. That kind of implies you're like Jay-Z or something, like you just make it rain, you know? Like I'm what? Jay-Z, you know, like you just make it rain. <laughs> I don't know, whatever. But I, for whatever reason, this, this weird shit just keeps happening around me, and I am... I, I see where there's a need for more attention on the you know the stuff that goes on with these cases, and some of them you know people are getting buried for the lack of having the expert witness stuff they need. I mean, we've got a guy right now that they uh, they basically indicted his cable modem account. This guy let his nephew stay with him for a while. The kid's been in trouble before for some sort of online activity, and the kid comes and goes. They've got an unmonitored warrant. They had this stuff running. They had the search running for seven months, and then they go and they pull this guy out, and they're blaming him for all this stuff. And so he's got a second mortgage on the house. He's looking at like 20 years, and just, you know, there's a lack of someone who can go through and call bullshit on the evidence they bring forth. You know, and so that's kind of an anonymous. What? What is your stance on anonymous? Uh, it's dead. I mean, it 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 kind of died in 2012 with but over the years. I mean, I've seen you waffle back and forth over the last five years. Like, you know, what, what what's your what's your gut, you know, feeling about them? Well, the, if you could if you could incorporate those five years into one articulate, you know, description. Anonymous has died on a pretty much annual basis. You know, the group that I knew in 2011 and 2012 with Barrett's arrest and with the revelations about Sabu basically ended. And they went off and did some other stuff. And a lot of the the dirty end of the field, the, the black hats, the trolling, the, the serious bad actors have, it seems to me, backed off on the brand because they don't like all the heat that has come down on them. And I think. Hmm? What do you mean by bad? Um, I After? use that in the, in the, uh, the the, a lot of the support. You know, you got the guys that are botnet herders that are doing right. EDOT, and you got the guys that are intrusion artists, and that's a very you know they may end up serving the needs of activists, but that's become a more you know to my mind a more contentious thing. And there's now an air gap, and you sort of have this this kind of neutered brand that marketing people tried to pick up, and it's just so toxic that they can't do anything with it. And I think we've really gone into a, a sort of environment where the big branded anonymous activist stuff is kind of done, for you know, except in some circumstances, and that we've gone on into sort of a little a more dispersed anonymous type activity. Like there are different groups that I'm involved in that, you know, they don't advertise. You can't learn anything about them by Google or Twitter, but, you know, stuff needs to happen and it just happens. And it's not really clear who's doing it or why. And, and like the stuff with, with Kiriaki, I mean, he needed a job, he got a job. And if I hadn't said anything here tonight, nobody would ever know. So it's, it's, uh, wait, 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 Neil. So you're saying that, you're saying that sort of anonymous was sort of, I mean, the way I see anonymous is, is anonymous is, is it's kind of like, it, it's a hat that we all wear. So 
so that when something happens, it's all of us that did it, not just that one that one act. Mm-hmm. But are you saying that sort of back in the day it was something different? The nature of how close people were has changed. And I think the, yeah. the people who are steering things have, sure. have changed. I mean, that's turned over three or four times. And a lot of people that got involved during Arab Spring, and today I, I don't think they would even consider trying to do something that's that's branded anonymous. They're going to go and do, you know, I don't know. It's just, you know, instead of... Uh, no, I do. I, one, I agree. I agree. Yeah, mm-hmm. that, 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 that makes sense. The brand's scary now because it's attracted so much heat, right, on a global scale, right? Everybody's looking at it. All these fucking law enforcement and government agencies are just constantly putting out shit. Like, they don't even identify Anon by uh, mm. activist or whatever. They say Ab- this, uh, what's the word? This, uh, oh, fuck, what is the word, man? I just heard it yesterday. Radical. No, it's even worse than that, man. De- not devious. Um, I don't know, man. They use some fucked up word. But that's how they identify with the mask or any of this shit to begin with, to the mainstream media I'm talking about. It always starts off like, oh, the sinister mask. The sinister mask hackers. They call themselves hacktivists. The mainstream media is so incredibly bad. You know, it's the U.S. above and beyond all else. It's just, it's a joke. And oh, totally. you, know, you, have, you, have, you have the Guardian, you have Der Spiegel, BBC shoots themselves in the foot less often than a lot of the other English language outlets. But if you are actually following any of the counterterrorism coverage, the the idea that that anonymous is is that sort of boogeyman that you would find on Fox News, it's not treated as credible. And there's a much larger problem in the form of the advanced persistent threats that are out there. I mean, Anonymous had nothing to do with the OPM hit. And now blackmail material on 4 million people with security clearances is in the hands of the Chinese. Uh, Anonymous had nothing to do with 20,000 computers being compromised at the Bundestag. And the German parliament is looking at wholesale, turning everything off, and hauling it out and putting in new. And let's see, what else has happened? You know, this that that sort did, of did anybody claim responsibility for that? For which? For the for the German act. No, wow. it uh, what, what happens there is they go in and they do forensics, and there are about thirty different groups. These are usually nation state actors. Some of them are larger criminal gangs, and they have. You know they have certain fingerprints. Their their code is compiled, you know, in, during daytime hours for Moscow or for Beijing, depending on which group you're looking at. And there are a few other telltale things where they can get identified. And some of them are slippery enough that they'll start putting in the fingerprints for their competitors. And so that's a much bigger issue. You know, and you know, I while I have you, I have to ask you the the uh, Italy hack. Any any theories on who did that? And still nobody is claiming responsibility. On, on hacking team? Yeah. yeah. Hacking um, 415 gig, 415 gig goes. I don't know what the speed of their internet connection is to the office, 
But like with Sony, given the, the volume of content that came out, we all looked at each other and said, wonder who that insider was. Because, you you know, unless they've got their heads all the way up their asses, you can't exfiltrate 415 gig worth of content in a timely fashion. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. And there, there are half a dozen... There are half a dozen former insiders from Hacking Team who were in the right place at more or less the right time to have had something to do with it, and it's thought that somebody had a grudge. You know, that's the the most recent thinking I've seen. Right, like an engineer who got who got laid off or wasn't it um, wasn't it wasn't it the same dude who or the same person or the same peoples who did the HP Gary hack? No. 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 HB Gary no. hack, I I read in detail. I wrote a white paper that was circulated among congressional offices, and that was Sabu and the other LulzSec guys, and they've all been okay. caught and cleaned up. And, you know, okay, that's Phineas, done. The Phineas guy, the, the Finn Fisher guy, he hacked Finn Fisher, right? Uh, the Finn Fisher guy does the same sector as hacking team, but other than the fact that it's the same sector and more or less at the same time, I haven't seen anything else that indicates that, that those two belong together. But wasn't it from the same account that he tweeted? Like the you know, same I, account that he dropped dropped that from, that he dropped the hacking team stuff from? I'm I'm not even aware of, of where that turned up on Twitter. Whoa. It, yeah. Uh, I've, I've actually seen his account. I think I follow him. I'm not sure, though. I mean, it would be interesting if it was sort of this guy who works inside of these companies and then mm-hmm. extracts. Well, that becomes a pattern pretty quickly. And I'll tell you what, if you look at the OPM intrusion and the stuff that went on there, this has been, you know, ha- having... The wild talent, the, the the Jeremy Hammonds of the world and, and the, the Cosmos of the world who are out there and who literally can just pick out a target, go after it, and get in. There, there's only so much of that to go around. And those guys are usually, once they get past you know their mid-20s, they tend to be a lot more cagey. And the thinking for a long time has been that it will be with, with – the sequestration. I mean, we've ended our war with Iraq and Afghanistan, and we typically have a 25 to 35% budget cut when that happens. And all those infosec contractors, those systems are so shittily designed. I mean, we've seen that with OPM, how incredibly bad they are internally. But those people coming out, you know, we have Snowden, who's very civic-minded, and who, you know, all of his stuff went to journalists. And there are probably... You know, guys 20 years older than him who planned to work until they were going to retire, and now they're screwed. And they got two kids in college, a wife with breast cancer, and they can walk out with a thumb drive that will pay off their mortgage. What are they going to do? There's enough people that are going to be embittered and feeling abandoned in a time where, you know, half of those 1,600 InfoSec contractors are going to die that, that that's going to happen. And it's a nightmare for the National Counterintelligence Executive before the OPM hack, and now it's really a fucking nightmare because whoever did that, and we think it was China, they've got a roadmap for who's vulnerable. 
And isn't an issue also that to fix their infrastructure, they're looking at huge, huge costs that they just can't afford? I don't think they can be fixed. Okay. I'm, I'm a, a software engineer by training. I did a short stint at the Postal Service right out of college. You know, so I've had a little bit of exposure to large-scale government projects. And given the internal politics of entities like that, I mean, that's why OPM was in the condition it was in. You know, they've got 42 systems. Nothing is on two-factor authentication because they're politically incapable because changing a system's architecture. So, Neil, you, have, you actually have a background in some of this shit. You weren't like a fucking liberal arts uh, creative. <laughs> No, no, I said computer science, and then I spent about 15 years managing service providers and had the Cisco network and design professional and was working as an instructor and headed towards finishing up my CCIE when I got sick back in 2007. So, yeah, this is, yeah, I'm... This is your shtick. Hmm? This is your shtick. Like, this is your world. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And this well, is, I didn't know it, that about it, you. That's why I asked. It, it's my touch that if I get interested in something, I can basically go in and, and do a bunch of reading and go look around, and then I can pass for a native pretty quickly. And it's just, you know, that's that's a skill set that I have. Right on. I hear you. Glenn, we can't get Liberty back on, right? No, she dropped No, she really team. wants that's to it. get back on. I know. I, I was trying to figure it out. I don't think I can even with Skype. Uh, you can give me her number and I'll call her. That's about it. That's the only option you got. And I three will three way her in like I did warmer. Oh yeah, totally. Hold on. Um Well don't say it on the air. No, I didn't do that. <laughs> oh I'm come not, on. I'm not a politician. Yeah, that's another show that does that. And too. ask her first. I yeah, God, no. damn it. Uh I think that would work. <laughs> I, I, I would avoid the. I mean, it's, you know, you know, I'm smoker. You know, I'm stoned, but I wouldn't. Yeah, yeah. I'm just busting your balls, man. <laughs> no, but it's good to remind me. Yeah. Well, well, that's interesting, Neil. That you just don't think that it's not even a matter of money to fill their holes. It just can't holes. be done. It's yeah. I, the system won't accept it. I think that how you'll see what happened with the OPM repeated over and over that some of these well, entities are just completely fucked. Ed Steven call you. What? What's that? What? Can someone let Neil talk? Hold on. What? What, Neil? Sorry. Well, I, I think you're going to see catastrophic failure and then cleanup. And you have these entities where it's very politicized for any movement of personnel. You have these contract firms that have a lot of political reach and they can continue the process of pulling out the intelligence collection, intelligence processing, or any other government function. And uh, and that's how it will happen, that you know, these offices will potter along until they get blown to bits. And then in the debris field, there will be a cleanup, and then you get something that's less dysfunctional. No. That's that's a very nihilistic view, but I imagine, you know, there's a lot of logic to it as well, which is too bad. It's, you know, it, it would be nice if if we could do something rational and 
and and good for our country because we do, you know, I mean, we have an overgrown security infrastructure. You know, we have this, the, the surveillance complex and the military complex that preceded it, but we still are, you know, a global power, and we can't just, you know, take a shit on all of that without having serious backlash. But it it would be, you know, like like the Titanic where you got whatever, 2,000 people and, and boats for 1,400, and then imagine that it's also on fire as well as sinking. That's the kind of environment you're dealing with where it's self-preservation, and the right system, the thing that works, isn't nearly as important as whatever office politics are driving things. Can I ask you another question, Neil? A big thing sure. that press sort of throws out all the time is grids being hacked. Mm-hmm. And you know, entire power system shut down. What is your thought on that? There's a lot of attention on SCADA systems, and I know this because my last uh, service provider that I worked for was partially owned by an electric cooperative. I actually had SCADA systems on the network, and mm. um, there is there's a lot of issues. I mean, what we saw with Iran with just a little bit of, of tweaking of a microcontroller, they destroyed equipment. And here, right. with our data system, it's so porous, it's so connected to stuff, you know, there may be, you know, you can do an innocuous move at one location and shut something down, and you can do something else innocuous at another location and turn it up, but if you do them at the same time, the whole thing goes boom. Yeah, if, so I, I mean, think if you, can, if, you can, if you combine the physical attack with an electronic attack on a power infrastructure, it, it would cascade quickly. Yeah, I mean, Texas has had, Texas is an island. The, the grid east of the Mississippi is pretty unified. The grid west of the Mississippi is unified. And Texas kept their grid separate because of their World War II production. And ERCOT has never let that slip. So they can import only about 5% of their needs. And there's one feed into Mexico and one feed into California. So if you have a cold, windless night like they had about three years ago where all the wind turbines drop off at once, or if you have a really blistering hot summer and drought like they dealt with in 2012, you can have power sources start to go off on, offline. And if somebody well, hits... We've seen that line, before, right? Waving blackouts in, in, Cal, in Cali. Um, I'm all, surprised they're not that happening was all synthetic. again. The, the the Cali blackouts were that was synthetic. They were just fucking with people to see what they could do in terms of electric rates. Yeah, and like I think people ended up getting prosecuted. That was Enron. That was Enron bullshit. Yeah, creating there was nothing therapy. wrong. There, yeah, they they were creating that perception, and just testing it. But with the droughts that we're dealing with, you know, we have there there are power plants that can just you know they're they're going to get turned off because they're not going to have water sufficient to cool them. So, you know, the nightmare scenario with Texas is, you know, one guy and a few sticks of dynamite and a remote pylon that happens to be on one of those lines at a time where they're getting as much as they possibly can through it. And, you know, that's it. And and then we end up with Texas with, you know, their grid going down right at sundown, and, you know, it's 110 degrees at night, and they can't turn shit back on. And they may not be able to put it back together. Yeah. And like any network, it really is all connected, right? Then they would try to borrow and... Well, no, Texas 
Texas very specifically is an island, and they can only import 5% of their needs. So they're in a uniquely, a uniquely exposed position. Their firewall is hurting them. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and it was it was done for sensible economic reasons in the 1940s, and it's continued for political reasons that don't make sense. Yeah, but, but I don't you know, know if you guys have seen it. There have been attacks on power substations in California. There's a it, it's a two man fire team, and I think they're using it's like AR-15. That's the caliber. And uh, they're, we don't know how they're surveilling the systems, but they're popping up and blasting the shit out of substations and disappearing and not leaving a trail. Whoa. That's wow. that, was three, that was That was like three years ago that that started. And in the last, like, six or eight weeks, there have been, we had like a dozen different fiber cuts. I mean, oh, like yeah. Half, I did read something about Houston, that Pretty recently, I mean, there was a huge blackout in Southern Cal and like into Nevada, Utah. Mm-hmm. Jesus Christ! Why would why would somebody want to do cuts. that? That's that's ridiculous. It's why a, would somebody want to do that? It's a test, a preemptive a preemptive test for something larger. Well, it, it, you know, an advanced test. You know, boys behaving badly. That's one explanation. It's an advanced test to someone that intends to do something more serious. That's another thing. Could you imagine if the if like the, all the rage amongst the teenagers these days was to go out and like smoke a lid and fucking go cut fiber optic uh, cables? That would, well, that would be cool. I think I think the big factor is that a lot of this stuff is done to see how they react. That's what they're testing. So do I. You know? Well, I mean, I mean, and this whole power grid thing is a serious concern. Well, the thing I'm worried about, and Neil, you should be able to tell me if this is possible. Can you can you coordinate a cascading attack on a SCADA system? You know, I don't know the you know that stuff is kind of hidden, and if you go around asking about it and you don't work for a power company, <laughs> that raises eyebrows. And since yeah. I don't yeah, work, bro. I don't work in an office. The show's for a power about company, to be deleted. That's where we're headed. What? What? <laughs> no, no. If we, we start going down that direction. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. Wasn't there a SCADA failure system at um, at Verizon in in South Manhattan um, during Irene that broke their net that finally broke their network? It started physically and then and then everything went. Well, it's just such a widespread application, and it's been there for fucking decades. I mean, as far as I know, in power distribution, SCADA was around in the 70s already. Oh, yeah, definitely. And it's just become so widespread and so staple to the fucking controlled systems. You know? I mean, it peaked a long fucking time ago, but... Again, who doesn't? Who wants to spend all the R and D for a completely new system like that when they don't have to? That's it's less. It's better issue. in the long run. It, it it's a bigger issue that you have people who are used to working with mechanical and electromagnetic systems where they have electrical engineers who it's you know the size of a device and how long it's been in service and they can monitor and manage stuff and they're not very good at handling an IT network in any sense. 
And then if yeah. you put one that's you know under stress of people trying to get into it, you know, they those offices they'll have a single, you know, Netgear firewall and it'll have VPN set up for some outside vendor and they'll have all their billing stuff. And then on the same subnet, whatever they're doing for monitoring and stuff, they'll just plug it in. You know, yeah. they'll plug in some, some SCADA stuff and it, it you know, they'll give it static addresses for the servers. And then the, the control stuff out in the field, there's no protections on that stuff. There's like yep. reverse serial muxes, and if you know the IP address and you know the, the protocol it uses, you can do whatever you want to with it. They're just, they were never built to face an intruder. They were expected to be on 56K or frame relay or T1 circuits and a dedicated network and, and didn't even have potential for Internet to access. And that's really where they need to take it. If they're going to be secure... They need to just bite the fucking bullet. They've got fiber buried everywhere. They've run power lines. Put up a separate network and fucking air gap it. And just deal with the cost and, and deal with having separate stations on it. And, and you know, that would be that would be workable. Yeah. And that that is that. it, right? The money. It's about the money. Well and, and they don't see it. They don't, you know, you've got people that are, like I said, so you, got, you air gap it with what, radio waves, with, with Wi-Fi waves? Oh, no, if, if, if I were presented with a power company to manage today and it had buried fiber, I would have separate Ethernet drops at each location for the stuff that needs to have Ethernet. It would be on its own separate ring. Whatever management workstations there are would be in the office, and it would be set up like a skiff. Like like a secure compartmentalized information handling facility, right. where you get up and go over to the machine that's on the network that you need to access, and you know whatever niceties that people are used to having about stuff being you know from you know nighttime monitoring and that kind of stuff would just you know they'd have to come up with some kind of method, but right now that is. It's put together, you know, literally one step above someone's home network. They slap shit in. If they get an IP address on it and they can connect and, and all the lights light up, it must be good. That, that level of discipline is just not there. Do you remember those things um, when we were younger from, like, uh, Sharper Image? They were, like, uh, a, a bunch of needles, and you could, like, put your hand on it, and it would paint the imprint of your hand on the other side. Mm-hmm. Or if you put your finger in it, it would only disturb those needles. Yeah. That's the way a, net, a network needs to be. So if you if you if you just poke five of the needles, just those five needles throughout the rest of it stays in equilibrium. Well, that's some sort of encryption firewall we haven't gotten to yet. Well, it's, I mean, it's also like the base of the building design, but it all it's all in scale. Uh, people like Smoker will get there. <laughs> well, it's going to be interesting. So what you're basically saying is nobody wants to be first because they haven't been the victim. You know, I mean, I'm, I'm well aware of C51, so I'm not going to name specifics, but say there is a power utility somewhere that gets their entire distribution network taken over and who knows what it's told to do. It could backfeed. It could blow itself up. 
it could just turn off. Who knows? But mm-hmm. you're saying you're saying until that happens, they're not going to do the right thing. And fiber. I'm sure if if they had. Hmm, how do I do this without breaking an NDA? <laughs> the, the the power companies that I'm currently talking to are suddenly painfully aware after what happened with OPM. The vendor came in, the vendor did a scan, the vendor said, wow, did you guys mean to have this here? They are all doing that. They have okay. all been hit with a a notice that, that they, you know, that, that OPM intrusion, the scale of it and the, the just the details of it, the steady drumbeat, they, they're all paying attention now. Good. Somebody said NDAA. You know what? Fuck the NDAA. No, NDAA. No, Only 1A. 1A. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> not the so. national not the National Defense Authorization Act, a non-disclosure agreement. Yes. All the difference in one letter. Those are always sketchy. <laughs> well, that's good then. That's good if they got a wake-up call. I mean, it beats the alternative, which is the usual, after the fact, knee-jerk, holy fuck. So I guess it's progress in some manner. There's a lot of fucking people on air, but I don't hear much. Yeah, wait, I, I, while I was waiting for Neil to respond, I didn't want to interrupt. Maybe he dropped. No, no he's not yeah. here. I'm here, but I'm, I'm a little thinking. bit worn. <laughs> I'm just thinking and thinking. I'm just wondering, like, what what will be the next shocker in terms of cyber war, and what you know, what will actually push things to a more physical level. Well, I don't know. well, I'll tell you what if the would next more physical level look like. No, but if the next shocker, what? if the next shocker is the offensive party is the NSA or the GCHQ, we won't even know about it. The only ones we're going to know about are the ones that attack, quote-unquote, us. So, I mean, if you watch any of those real-time fucking maps you can get to on the Internet with traffic and attacks, it doesn't stop. And it's both directions, man. It's going on all the time, and it's not one way. So, I mean... yeah. When you talk about what the next big one's going to be, how do you know it's the next big one? It's just the next big one they want us to know about. It'll be the next big one that the media can get their head around. Have you guys seen <laughs> right. stuff with, with Dooku? No. no I, don't, I don't think so. Um, Uh-oh. I think I first there was Stuxnet, and then the Israelis okay. had right. a, an evolution right. of that called, yeah. called Dooku. Oh, okay. And Is that... Is that the one they dropped on Iran? No, no, no. No, Stuxnet was the one that hit Iran. Okay, okay. <clears throat> and they have a, a, a next generation, they're calling it Dukubet, so that's D-U-Q-U, and then B-E-T is the second letter in the Hebrew alphabet. Mm-hmm. And the CryptoStorm guys ran into this shit in January, and literally, like, Grown-ass engineers used to running complex projects and dealing with serious problems, breaking down in tears, trying to get rid of this shit. And then Kaspersky, the Russian 
malware mm-hmm. guys, they were just just very Russian in their response about how disgusted they were, <laughs> like it was a government project that they had to work on getting this crap out of their network. And hmm. the things that we are seeing, I, I hang out in the IRC channel for, for CryptoStorm, and I've been given operator status because there's this one in my own kid from another company that comes in there. And I kick his ass every time I see it. But um, <laughs> stuff they're seeing, um, there are what they call corruptor injector networks. So this is like NSA, GCHQ, stuff like that, where if they see your traffic, they are doing redirects. They'll slip in a 302 redirect, and Whoa. you'll hit something that takes over your browser. And they're mm-hmm. packing malware into the SVG fonts. You'll get like two megabytes worth of fonts that never show up in a web page, and that's an infection coming down. Whoa. And they're, they turned off. Within the CryptoStorm network, there's something called a certificate revocation list, yeah. which is a URL that contains the information on all uh, X509 certificates that should be disabled. And they're nesting shit inside them. The format's not really well-defined. I got hit with one the other day, and I caught the URL, and I did a wget, pulled the stuff down, and there's a malware analyzer site at malwr.com, and I put it in there, and it's a Windows executable posing as a certificate revocation list. So there is this level of corruption of Internet traffic that everything that Kaspersky has found, that stuff is happening everywhere. They found it first on the darknet markets that uh, Agora got taken over with it, and then it's just gone everywhere. And like the stuff I'm doing now, have you guys, I don't know, what operating system-wise, or you guys on Linux, are you looking at any of the, the resistant stuff, like, Tails or Unix? Me? I'm on yeah. I'm on uh Vista. <laughs> oh. <laughs> well there's a thing called Q Q U B E S and it's a it's a Zen hypervisor, it's a compartmentalized version of Linux. And uh Joanna Rutkowska is a security researcher from Poland, she's the brains behind that one. And that's like the only thing that's safe anymore is that and then you got to like know how to filter your traffic and to pick off this shit before it causes problems. And you have to harden browsers. And it's just, since it's I can dirty. see this stuff, it's like I'm, I'm, just, I'm afraid to go anywhere online. Can I ask you a question, Neil? It, I mean, is this, is, this your, I mean, is this your ideal vision of the Internet, like having to do all this stuff just, I mean, do you have to do this stuff like when you have your morning coffee and, you know, check the news? The the stuff I'm doing now... I mean, I know you always have to do it. I mean, but I'm, yeah, I'm, I just, I'm asking a rhetorical question, sort of. Like, is is this, like, the Internet we want? Like, we no, no, just, no, 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 no. At no, some point, is, don't you want to marry the bitch and unwrap the rascal? It It is so, so hazardous now that, you know, this OPM intrusion, the stuff with Ashley Madison, that's just going to keep coming because as soon as Dooku is out there, the bad guys are seeing this, and they're starting to pull traces on what's going on, and they're stealing pieces of it. Anytime you use a cyber weapon, weapon, it gets stolen and broken down, parted out immediately. 
And over the last, you know, ever since I got real active back in 2010, probably one day a week on average is spent on um, auditing something or rebuilding something or just otherwise trying to keep people out of my stuff. I've had uh, a phone break-in in 2013. I had a file system break-in in Dropbox in 2014. I lost some servers just like a week ago. And I haven't had anything broken into server-side in a long, long, long fucking time, and they got into something. And I don't know who and didn't have time to bother to figure it out. It just, you know, I, I could see kind of what the mechanism was, and it got set up in a lot more restrictive fashion. But I'm, if I'm not working for the this whole defense attorney thing, basically everything that I do now is either directly trying to counter this kind of stuff, you know, get people systems that they can use when they're going out and, and you know, they, they have to go out and about and do things. Or, you know, it's, you know, hosting where it, it's stuff coming at us. Yeah, and it's just, it's awful. It's it's like, it's the digital equivalent of living in Aleppo, Syria. It's, I don't yeah. dare stick my head up and there's always some kind of bullshit exploding somewhere that's uncomfortably close. And, I mean, there are even civilians in, in that analogy. Well, it isn't really, you know, there there are no civilians. Well, I mean, it's if, all my just IP bank account, if my mom got her bank account information stolen, I would consider her a civilian and I'd be upset. I mean, there, it's... They've gone at it with this sort of Cold War deterrence doctrine. They're going to build this huge cyber capacity, and then nobody will fuck with us. And now we have this huge dragnet surveillance, and what we find out is that everybody's fucking with us, and nobody <laughs> knows enough to shut it down. And um, If you build it, they will come. Well, if you if you build it and deploy it, they'll see what happens, <laughs> and then everybody's got it. <laughs> yeah, and so it's just... It's, so this hyper Stuxnet, what is its actual purpose? Is well, it a war? You saw the stuff on hacking team. You mm-hmm. saw the stuff on hacking team where it's it's intrusions and you have payload droppers and you take over systems and then you get information. The that's a a well done corporate. I mean, it's it's good development. They've got source code now. It's it's commented. The revisions are there. So that's going to expand. People are going to take that and run with it. You're going to see criminal gangs putting it to work. And with things like Dooku, it's an infrastructure like that, but it's got the will of a nation state behind it and the best minds they can round up. So they have got zero-day stuff that we've never imagined wrapped up in these things. It's got an infrastructure that is built for how a government team works. It's built to do the stuff that they need, and it is incredibly persistent. They have had, like, hard disks have firmware. There's, like, a a vertical flash, and there are infestations that a lot of the hard disks are vulnerable. If you get used to a hard disk on a desktop, like, the CryptoStorm guys literally, like, took a hammer to five or six hundred dollars worth of drives. Just no way to fix it. Wow. Figured out how to head off the infection, rebuilt machines, and then, you know, it's just it's scrap. You can't do anything with it. You can't sell it. You'll be giving somebody else the infection. 
persistence. Yep. Wow. A multifaceted malware that continues to cling to your system, almost like a living parasite. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I know. I mean, I'm with all the crazy shit I click. I notice some of these things, <laughs> like how they and how, <laughs> and how like they cling. I gotta go deep into like root files to get rid of them. I fuck up so mm-hmm. much. Well, we got a maximum of 13 and a half minutes left before BTR is going to kick us all off. Probably sooner. Yeah, because they cut me four minutes short the other night. And we got two, four, six people on air. So anybody who... I know know if Smoker was up for it, he would have responded to some of that that technical stuff, but uh, Neil, thanks. I mean, thanks for dropping some knowledge. Uh, mm-hmm. I thought you were kind of like an anthropologist of computers, not really a techie. So I'm glad. Yeah, I kind of that. feel like I got the wrong. I kind of feel like I got the wrong idea about who you were, Neil. Like, well, you didn't have a clue. Gee, I that never up. happens. I, I fucked <laughs> up, guys. In in 2009, I've known Chet Uber for like 20 years. And he called me, and he was really sick and just had gotten through having a, a heart bypass. And he said, I want to go back to work. I have nothing left. I'm living with my sister. And I said, I got some extra servers. You can use them. It's, you know, go and, and build something. And what came out of that was Project Vigilant. And they, uh, in 2009, did their level best to get us all arrested for espionage. And uh, we did some work for Musavi during the Iran election, which was a fucking disaster and I kind of said and, and at the end of that I no, I mean there's like people died people were doing stuff and they were exfiltrating inflammation and then things would just not finish and they're like nope they're dead and yeah, wow. and I was not ready for that because I'd never been in that kind of environment and I just finally it, I said you guys have got to go I, you know I love you like brothers but I'm not doing this and that was like the end of 09 and then about 36 hours before the press got the news on Manning, Chet calls me and he says, we have just uncovered the biggest military leak in history. And I was like, okay, whatever. And all those logs people were hunting for, you know, the why haven't we seen the logs, like two years worth of that? Oh. I had them. I couldn't release them because of NDA. And mm-hmm. it just – and the reason I had done this, is I was so worried about right-wing extremists because that's always been the problem in this country. Uh, I mean, we haven't had any good lefty violence since I was, like, in fucking kindergarten. <laughs> and all this Islamophobia shit. I mean, there's some issues there, but not nearly what you would think. And, yeah. and you know, Chet's Jewish. And I just said, hey, this is, you know, this, these Stormfront guys. This is going to be a problem. And it got hijacked. It, got, it grew to the point where he had enough people that, that had signed on that uh, one of the Islamophobia Incorporated guys uh, came in and, you know, their new hosting. And, and, you know, so that got him out of my facility. And uh, it was uh, Aubrey Chernick. And it's nc4.us, which is a compartmentalized intelligence system that gets used by, like, 40 federal agencies and a bunch of corporate customers, too. And so that was it. So, you know, I, I knew Chet pretty well. I mean, to the point where he lived with me for five weeks in 2010 after having surgery. And I bumped into Adrian Lamo a couple times in chat rooms, never had any relationship with him. And 
you know, and I, and I let that out, not realizing how toxic that was going to become over time. And so, like, all this whistleblower shit that I do and, you know, moving to the districts that were the two former FBI agents has kind of been penance. It's like I, you know, although I did wow. nothing directly to Manning and, you know, was basically not involved in any of that stuff, I, I've been burned for it over and over and over. <laughs> wow. For the suspicion. Well, just, you know, I know Chad, and that's enough for... Yeah, whatever so nutters are looking at that. Exactly. Yeah, and you know, and and he's he's a weird dude. This guy has the fucking strangest Rolodex of anyone that you could ever imagine. <laughs> and no, I mean, I mean, you know, he lives with me for five weeks. The phone rings and it pops up. The number says Vince Surf. You know, Mr. Godfather of the Internet. He's on like two hundred different boards, and I don't know exactly what they were doing, but that's someone that he knows. <laughs> oh man. And this is Adrian. No, Ooh. Chet. Chet. Okay, sorry. So Chet, at sorry. some point, at some point back in the 80s, right after he got out of the Army, I don't know what he did. He's never said what it was, but it was like some kind of NSA science thing with Lawrence Livermore Labs. And and he knows just freaking everybody. I love and uh, he's I I don't know what he's done. I mean Project Vigilance been, you know, kind of turned into a running joke and it's a front for whatever weird shit people want to do and not get caught doing. But really he has this this, this just crazy crazy Rolodex. And people, you know, he'll call people and ask them to do stuff and and they'll go do it. It's just now I've never seen anything like it. Rolodex like the old school kind like we're used to or is it a a, a cyber I mean, Rolodex? I mean, his, you know, the smartphone. And I'd look at the call log on his phone, and it's just like, this person called you? That person called you? And you guys know who the jester is, right? Mm-hmm. So the jester got doxxed for the first time in December of 2010, and the guy who did it had called the chief scientist at the DOJ and said, hey, I just caught these people. What do I do with this? And uh, this guy was a, a black hat and um, who uh, had had kind of evolved and was older and had, like, mortgage and kids and stuff. And and he ended up with uh, PV for a little bit, and I kind of got to see who the first two people in that group were. And, uh, you know, that's just that's one of those things that's out there. Oh, shit. Really? Huh. Yeah. Well, and, you know, the, Sabu has been much hated because he was so publicly visible and such a showman. But there were two other CIs involved in the major anonymous cases. And one of them, if you go dig in, you'll find it was Eek the Cat. Which cat? Eek, E-E-K-D-A-C-A-T. Okay. This aspy kid that lives in Albany. And the other guy, the, the mysterious caller who got forwarded to Project Vigilant because the DOJ's chief scientist couldn't do what had to be done there. Hmm. Oh, just, huh. to change, just to change gears, Neil, we have a question from from chat room. How, well, is, Mr., how is Mr. Kitty? Mr. Kitty is good, but he's on house arrest. Oh. He's he's twenty pounds of, of furry glove muscle and he goes outside and he fights with this neighbor cat 
and he oh. finds every fucking flea in the yard, even with front lines. <laughs> had them like three times, and finally it was just like, this is it. This is it. If you have to get a bath again, you're getting fucking drowned, kitty. So you're not going out anymore. <laughs> <laughs> and he's not taking it well. Hmm. A lot of window time? Yeah, yeah. You know, there's cat TV. He gets <laughs> up and he's, you know, he's got behind the computer where it's warm and he can look out and it's a place where the little, you know, pollinators are fluttering around and yeah, so he's he's waiting for the first good hard freeze so he can go back out again. Hmm. Oh, oh man, got a, got a while to wait then. Yeah. Well, hey. Come on, Jenny, just hey. let me out. Just let me out. Right. That's what he does. That's what my cat does every single day. He just wants food, and then he just wants to go outside, and then he wants to go ahead and take yeah, a shit, and I have to escort the motherfucker down to his own food. I love him. Well, you know, my, to my cat every is single, everywhere. My cat oh. abuses me terribly. He's the king of the roost. Now it's cat confession. Well, I'm not really even a cat person. This is the whole thing. I'm a dog person, so I, I like, I'm, I'm uncomfortable with it, with, with, with his whole sort of resonance. I kind of acquiesce, like, quickly, you know. It's like, I'm a dog guy. Uh, My cat, so, like, 14 years ago, some redneck dropped a box of kittens off on my bakery doorstep, and uh, I kept two of them. But but still a dog person. Um, But he's he's a good, I mean, he's just, he's obsequious. Like, I mean, he just, he just yells. Alec has heard him. Yep, he, he's pretty loud. Well, he's a main coon, so he could have there a bit go. of feral in He could have a bit of feral in him. So he yeah. makes these crazy fucking noises, man. <laughs> well, main, main coons are known for making noises that aren't the normal uh-huh. cat noises, so... <laughs> Sometimes I think somebody put a kid under, like a baby under my couch. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, you know, oh, God. Like, what? Holy fuck, what was that? Yeah. Like, I mean, literally, it's not. Thank God we're on overtime. <laughs> uh, Josh, everybody's going to listen to this and they're going to be like, wow. Huh. So, I don't know um, what the fuck they're talking about. Liberty oh. would love you to give a shout out to Natasha if you could. Who? Ghost. If he's still here. No, he dropped. Okay. All right. No, well, he I, dropped. I, uh, I'm pretty Liberty sure you know why he she, dropped. She forgot. She forgot to give the uh, the shout out. But uh, yo, Glenn, thank you so much, Dalek. I'm so glad you're fucking alive. Character. Are Character. you? Are you? Are you back in uh, CO? I am back in. I'm back at home. Um, I did make it safe. I uh, I made it with the kids, unfortunately. Um, they were kind of a little bit. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. yeah okay. Um, but I did make it with the kids. You know, they were still in the back, and we had to hide so they didn't see us, and it was ridiculous. And all the little two kids were like, "Oh my gosh, I'm gonna, I gotta go to the bathroom every like thirty fucking miles." Whoa, back? 
I had to make it back up there. So I had to go back and forth. Oh, from 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 Grand Junction to uh to where we were staying over in like uh oh gosh, Tacoma. Dude, that's a haul, man. It was it's about a thousand miles. Mm-hmm. Jesus. So you went back and forth. Like one just actually just one big trip. Yeah. Just up she, there and then you, you you and I could road travel together because I'm like that. I'll go. You know, I'll go. If you gotta go, I'll go. You know what? Maybe one day, maybe I should give you a little bit of money and then you should come over here. Oh, big pimping these days, my man. All right, we're in the last minute, guaranteed. 